Well, we got a good show for you today. And I always say that, right? I mean, it's <laughs> I I never really release a podcast and say, "Wow, this one is a stinker." Um actually, if you follow me on Patreon, you can uh if you support the show on Patreon, I should say, uh I I do throw some of those out there. So, uh yeah, I guess that that's a, that would be a good uh, segue into talking a, a little bit about that. Yeah, Patreon. I'm loving Patreon. I'm really loving Patreon. I I don't, you know, I'm not like fully totally committed to it yet. You know, I still release majority of the podcasts uh, for free. Um, but every once in a while, I record a pod. Like I get it. I get just like an itch, something inside of me. I got to get it out. I got to talk about it. I got to just put the mic on and start recording. And sometimes I do that, and sometimes they're deeply personal, or they're experimental, um, or I'm just not sure about it. And so, people that are supporting me on Patreon, I I I I put them out there first, um, and I get fee- great feedback. You know, I get I get really great feedback. I want to give a, a, a special shout out to all you people who give me feedback because it's so it's just so important. You know, one of the things I, I went to school and I majored in communication, uh, communications and people kind of, I guess, maybe scoff at that or laugh at it like it's not really it's not like a real major. And, you know, I, it's it, it's not really. I mean, I guess I mean, it's kind of a general you know, I, I thought it was interesting because there was philosophy, psychology, you know, media theory. There was a lot of interesting components to it. But but really, when you think about it, communication is one of the most important things that we humans don't really know how to do so well. You know, some, sometimes we're afraid to speak up. We're, we're worried. What, what is someone going to think? How are they going to react? What are they going to say? Well, there's only one way to find out. Put it out there, motherfucker, because what are you waiting for? We're all going to die. Get out what you got to say. And not only that, but you do you you never know how you could change somebody's life, uh change somebody's life. Excuse me. Um change someone's life. Cuz sometimes uh you know, someone's doing something for example, I was recording this podcast thinking that the audio quality was pretty good. And uh, shout out to Matthew out there who messaged me and was telling me that he couldn't really hear the audio that great uh, when he was driving and uh, that um, maybe that I could bump it up a little bit or do something to check it out. So that actually, that gave me a reason to go and inspect, you know, what's going on. And now I'd like to think that there's booming audio sound coming through your speakers. It might be so loud and so crisp and so clear that you need to turn it down a little bit. So thank you for that. So I'm loving the feedback. The feedback, it's all that's what it's all about. You know, I I one of my favorite things about doing this show is the engagement that I have with with you guys, the listeners. So don't ever hesitate. Uh don't uh, don't feel shy reach out to me. I will always respond to you. You guys are my boss. You're my bosses. I'm doing this for you. Nobody else. No one else, right? I mean, who else is there? Right? Like I'm not I'm not podcasting to try and get on TV or get on something or other or whatever. This is it. 
this is it, man. This is the medium for me. The medium for me. I like talking into this microphone, and I like you guys listening on the other side, and I like when you guys speak up and tell me uh, what's going on, uh, how you feel about certain episodes, and and whatever. You know, it's uh, we're on, we're on a team. Team here. Uh, okay. Well, that uh, that being said, yeah. Look, if you want to support the show, there's a lot of ways that you could support the show, right? One of the ways you could support the show is just by sharing it with your friends. Just tell your friends about it. Tell your family about it. Tell people about it. Talk about it. Share it. You know, like it. Go go and subscribe to it. Wherever you listen to the show, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, uh, we're on Google Play now. Uh, where else? Uh, any place, you know, wherever you're accessing podcasts, leave me, uh, leave me a review, leave me a rating and a review. Um, what, what helps out a lot is the iTunes rating and reviews. That seems to be kind of like the general standard that people look at and stuff. Uh, and so I'm just, you know, like I, I say this a lot, but I'm just always just so fucking blown away by you guys, man. You guys make my day. I really mean that. Like if I go on there and I read a review, it's a five-star review and, and, uh, it says, you know, something incredible. Uh, I, I just makes me feel like, you know, it, it, it makes me want to invest more time into the show. It makes me want to work harder. You know, we talk, I talk about incentives a lot and incentive structures. You know, a lot of times, you know, the state doesn't really have, you know, with its big bureaucracies and its red tape and all this stuff, they're, they're incentive. They're not incentivized to win, to perform. This is incentivized to perform, this model. You guys leaving me ratings and reviews, you guys going on to Patreon, go to www.patreon.com slash Mike Brank, B-R-A-N-C, uh, and just supporting me in any way that you can is, is what incentivizes me to, to keep going to keep creating, to keep putting more time, energy, and effort into this, more money into this, improving the audio quality, improving the uh, the quality of, of guests that we're getting on the show, the interesting people. I mean, I am so just, uh, I'm just loving life right now that I, I have the ability to talk to all these just truly fascinating and interesting people and share it with you guys, you know? I mean, this is, I am a big believer in education, and intelligent, honest, truthful, meaningful, purposeful dialogue and, and, uh, and connecting and connecting with others and being open and being and, and exposing ourselves, taking our masks off and walking into the realm of the real. And, uh, and man, that's just what I'm all about, man. And whenever I get a chance to do that, I just feel so fucking great. You know, it's like the best drug in the world. You know, forget about any of the other psychedelics. Like, you know, that is the best feeling in the world is just to, just to be nailing it, hitting it out of the park, just connecting with another human being on a real raw level and to have that feedback loop to have you guys chiming in and let me know what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong, what I could do better on. I mean, it's just uh, it's just a blessing. It really is, you know, to 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 be perfectly honest. So I feel hashtag blessed. <laughs> I feel I feel hashtag blessed. All right. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. And please go leave your ratings, go leave your reviews. Like I said, it helps the show so much i mean and it just helps me with my mental uh health with my wealth with everything you know i mean like look i i i didn't get into podcasting to be rich you know what i mean <laughs> i 
I, I didn't get into I didn't get into this. You know, I don't I don't do things in my life for some kind of other reason. You know, the the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing now is because I'm doing what I'm doing now. <laughs> you know, does that make any sense? I love doing this. I love it. I love you guys and I love doing this. And if I could keep doing this, that is just what I want to do. That's it. You know, obviously, uh, you know, if if people could just like feed me, that would be pretty cool. You know, if I could just if you could just feed me, give me maybe give me some shelter, I'd be all right. I would have a great life. I'm just I'm smiling, I'm happy, and that's really all I need. I just want to continue this infinite game. I'm not worried about winning. I'm not worried about anything else. I just want to keep the game going. I just want to keep dribbling the ball. I just want to keep taking shots. I just want to keep shooting the shit with you guys and with interesting, fascinating, mind-blowing, just paradigm-shifting, ripping through the raw realm of the real, diving into that consciousness sea of, of explosive, majestic awe and wonder people. Like today's guest, Reverend Danny Nemu. What a fascinating guy. I mean, you know, I'm just so fortunate. And big shout out to Psychedelic Press. Uh, Psychedelic Press is doing just big things, man. They got so many cool authors under their under their uh, uh, belt there. And um, let's see what, uh, yeah. You go to go support them. You know we're on this podcast today. I'm talking with uh, with Danny. We were we were chatting about uh, some of the books that he's written, and you know I I, I think it's like I I get on here and I turn on a microphone and I just let my thoughts kind of spew out here. But I, I I don't have the organization or the discipline to write a book. So you know people that can sit down and write a book and put a book together. I mean they put their time and their energy and their effort, their heart and soul into those into those works. And uh, go check go check out uh, Danny's books because you know this conversation is going to be great. But if you want to dive in deeper and dive and dive into some of the just mind blowing, fascinating, mystical stuff that that he goes into is uh you know the depth and breadth of of knowledge on this guy is tremendous absolutely absolutely tremendous folks okay i've never met a smarter man <laughs> a little trump gotta throw a little trump in there every every once in a while right get that little get that guy going all right but yeah seriously go support uh psychedelic press um go to their website and um and go and take a look at the the books they have there, and go to Danny's website. Uh, name is end. Uh, it's n e m u s e n d dot co dot uk, and uh, and support those guys. You know, um, because when you go directly to them and you support them, it, it helps them out. You know, just like you're coming directly to me and supporting me, whether it be on Patreon or leaving ratings and reviews. It, it directly helps me. You know, there's no other third party uh, Amazon affiliate or any of that junk. No one, ta- no one's taking any percentages. There's no man in charge here. It's just us creating shit and putting it out for you people out there living your lives in your tele- television tuned in channel frequency version of reality i don't even know what i'm saying anymore i'm just i'm 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 in like an ecstatic state right now for some reason um usually i record these uh these intros like a little bit after but um 
we uh we were recording and this podcast is about two hours long so i'm not going to do a, a big sometimes i do a little rant thing and talk about what's on my mind and, and things like that but i'm going to pretty much cut this short in any second now so we can get into this conversation that, that i had with uh with danny and uh yeah i mean um what else what else should I tell you guys? I mean it it's just uh it's a real honor and a privilege and a pleasure to to have these conversations. I hope you guys find them interesting and I hope you guys get value out of them. And uh you know, let's change the fucking world, you know? Like let's just let's just do it. <laughs> let's 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 do that shit, man. Uh <laughs> Danny is uh Danny's a great guy and we had a great conversation. Danny's uh Danny's background is in history and philosophy of medicine and uh he he's lived in Japan and he's you know, he talks about this uh but uh spent time in in uh with the Santo Daime uh, tradition down in in the Amazon rainforest drinking ayahuasca brew and uh he's uh you know written books he's an activist and he's just he's just one of these people in my opinion uh that you as soon as you're talking to them you realize that oh this this oh they they get it there's like this oh you okay you uh, you understand you you get what we're where you get what's going on here. You're you're open, you know, the open-mindedness. And that's what this show's all about, you know what I mean? I talk about this show, what is it all about? People ask me, Mikeadelic, what is it about? Is it about psych... Obviously, you know, is it just psychedelics? Is it drugs? Is it just tripping, getting fucked up? No, it's a, it's actually a lot more than that. It's it's a lot more than that. It's it's the psychedelic-mindedness, this open-mindedness, the ability to, to in, be intellectually honest and to explore and to go where go where you go and let the chips fall where they may and 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 be truthful and be honest and be real and uh and yeah okay uh that's that's it but that this uh this is one of those guys i think you guys are gonna love this uh podcast and you know i always do this and, and with every show you know i talk about how great the podcast is and how great the guest is and then you know it's like i feel like i'm becoming like the jimmy fallon of like the psychedelic podcasting world or something but i just i don't know man i'm fucking thrilled um i really am thrilled it's it's just a it's just so cool to to do this this is uh, uh jason silva talks about this like uh, addicted to awe I am a I'm addicted to having like my mind blown. Like I'm just I'm addicted to the sense of awe. I'm addicted to ideas. I'm addicted to uh just everything that could be a thought-provoking, stimulating uh idea uh in 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 my head. You know, I drugs aside, you know, yeah, you, you don't you don't need them sometimes. You don't you don't need them. You just need uh flow. When you're flowing with someone else, when you're connecting with, when you're having a mind jam, you know, like a, a musicians get together and they jam out. It's like a couple minds get together and jam out. And that's, uh, I feel like that's what this was. That's what this podcast was. We just kind of got together and, uh, and we jammed out and we talked about stuff, uh, a lot of stuff. We talked about a lot of stuff. That's a good, that's a good, uh, that's all I'm going to put in the description of the show. We talked about a lot of stuff. No, but um, but honestly, this is a good one. You guys are gonna enjoy. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I love all of you to infinity and beyond. Uh, if you want to support the show, please just send me a check for one million dollars. No, just go to Patreon.com/slash/MikeBrank. You can just throw a dollar my way a month, two. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is, just help me keep the lights on over here. Um, and uh, and go leave uh, ratings and reviews on iTunes. And of course, go check out our guest 
uh, after you're done with this conversation. If you enjoy it, you know what to do. I love all of you. Without further ado, my conversation with Reverend, 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 Psychedelics are illegal, not because a loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. They open to us the possibility that everything we know is wrong. We don't need new laws that control our consciousness and rigidly place it in a prison. Cognitive liberty. The fact that as adults, if we're not hurting anybody else, we should have the right to explore the contours of our own consciousness without any mediation or legislation on the part of somebody else. Reject authority. Authority is a lie. Is a Information is power, but we have to seize, seize the, opportunity. the opportunity. The opportunity. Thank you yeah. for, for being on the show today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I have my moments. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I got to say, from what I've read so far uh, of your latest book, uh, Neuro Apocalypse, uh, it was uh, very, very uh, like poetic and moving and just uh, profound, deeply interesting. So uh, I can't wait to dive in, dive in deeper. But I guess, uh, I guess, and uh, you know, picking your brain here. So. Yeah, you got you got this uh, this book out, Neuro Apocalypse, uh, and what is that all? But what is the Neuro Apocalypse? What is what's going on with that? Oh man, okay, um, yeah. So Apocalypse means uh, unveiling or the removal of a veil. Kalipatin is a veil in Greek, and so a lot of people think of the Apocalypse in terms of the imagery of the first of the of the, the famous book called the Apocalypse, the Apocalypse of Saint John which begins with the word the apocalypse and so that's why it's called apocalypse but apocalypse means unveiling it means when something which has been hidden is revealed so a cognate word is discovery for example or uh or or revealing itself or revelation for example velum also means a veil so a revelation or revealing or a discovery is um is an apocalypse and actually actually the second this my second book the first one was about uh, moments of um, in, in, in the history of science, mainly where things have been discovered either in dreams or on psychedelics or in that moment just between being asleep and awake or in flashes of inspiration or during a kind of malarial delirium like, uh, like a guy called Wallace who discovered um, descent with natural selection uh, when he was uh, when he had malaria and he was too ill to write for three days but then when he came out of it he wrote this all down sent it off to Mr. Darwin and uh, Mr. Darwin completely freaked out because he'd been working on it for 20 years and hadn't published yet so he published the next year um, so that was what the first book was about um, and also how the machinations of science um, kind of uh, what, what they how they deal with uh, new with new discoveries and the politics all around that but that was called science field and then my, my second one goes into the the neurobiology I guess of um, 
of the act of revelation. Uh, that's part of it. So I'm looking at various um, psychological, neurological, linguistic uh, things which which make us miss certain things or uh, or see certain things. So I'll give you an example. I'm, like it starts comparison of, of the Japanese and yeah. English language. I lived in Japan for six years. And um, they're, they're, they're pretty interesting. They're, they, they, um, the one is built the other way. They're, they're built in opposite directions. So for example, if you want a pizza in English, you'd say I. You begin with I, uh, so you know who we're talking about. Uh, in, Japan, in Japanese, you probably wouldn't say I at all, but you would start with the word pizza, you know, pizza. And then you start putting the, and you put a bit of grammar in it. Uh, and then the eating, or the, or the word eat, the root of the word eat comes at the end, pizza or tabe. But you still don't know what you want to do with the pizza. So you know there's a pizza, you know the, 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 the subject of eating has come up, but you don't know um, if you want to eat it or you don't want to eat it or let's eat it or I had one last week or all those kind of things. They all come right at the end of the sentence. Um, so basically it's, it's the noun comes first rather than the agent, as in the I or you or the he comes first. And that um, is, is, if you look in the psychology of perception between those two different countries between or between how, how Japanese people see and uh, code stuff, then uh, it's quite different to how well, the studies are with Americans. So, for example, if you if you show a um, an animation of fish in a fish tank to a Japanese, the first thing he or she will probably say is uh, it looks like an aquarium, whereas the American will normally say there was a big fish. And then the Japanese will go on to describe kind of um, background features more than an American, where the American will normally say the big fish was doing this or that. Um, and um, but then what's really interesting is if you then show uh, fish from that um, from that animation to a Japanese afterwards and you put it on a, on a different colored background to where it was, the Japanese person will spend longer answering the question of whether it was in the animation or not and they'll make more mistakes whereas for an american it doesn't make a difference at all so it seems that what's happening is the way that this that that picture is coded in an american's mind and a japanese mind is different because uh you know um it looks like the japanese codes it with the background and then you can kind of look through the culture of, of japan at how the individual and the context is is um, integrated really. So, for example, if you look at a, a Japanese Zen garden, you normally have a big rock and then loads of rocks around it, contextualizing it. And in Japanese art, you don't have still life like we might have in European art, for example. Everything has to have a context in order to to make sense, and that goes right through into their the sociology. So, there's this you know there's this very famous um, I guess fact about the fact about how Japanese are very tied to their um, to their workplaces and when they go out they go out with their work friends and they don't take along their spouses and that kind of thing and they've got you know they don't take their holidays and all that kind of thing so this this relationship between the individual and the context is is, is really important in Japanese culture and it also goes into their psychology of perception uh, we see we see different things according to for example our language we also see different things according to what's going on in our heads so for example if you right. are in a hold-up and someone points a gun at you and then you get interviewed afterwards uh, pretty much everyone will say the gun was bigger than it actually was and pretty much everyone will say that the people nearby who could possibly have helped were further away than they actually were because the whole visual scene is warped according to what's going on in your head according to the fear for so I'm kind of looking at uh, so that's one way of, of, mm, of, of talking yeah. about what what is what is veiled what we don't see uh, or what we do see 
Um, so kind of looking at it from the linguistics and then looking at, for example, what autists see. I mean, how can uh, autistic savants, how can they um, how can they count loads of things at once? For example, you know, that like, for example, in Rain Man, there's that famous clip where the guy drops all those toothpicks and he, he says how many toothpicks there are. But that's that's quite a common um, a common trait of, of an autistic. So kind of looking at the neurobiology of, of how autism works, um, how autists can remember all these things. Um, I'll give you another example of that is if you if you if you say a list of words to to a person who's not autistic and they their words like donut and uh, sw- uh, donut and pepper biscuit and spicy and sour if you give a list basically of flavors and sweet things to a person who's um kind of uh, neurotypical then what they'll do when they when and you ask them to remember them then what they'll do when they repeat those words back to you they will normally categorize them they'll they'll give a list of all the sweet things so they'll say biscuit and donut and cake and then they'll give a list of the flavors and they'll say sour and spicy and uh so on and so forth um the autist will remember more and this is not savants this is just general autists they will remember more of the words. They won't put them into those categories. And also, if you say to a neurotypical, was the word sweet on that list? Something like 99% of them will say it was on the list because it kind of should be there because it fits into both categories. But the autist won't be tricked by that. You see what I mean? So, so our category mm-hmm. yeah, our category is veiling the detail of, of oh, what neurotypicals see. So that's another kind of uh, avenue that I'm going with the book is looking at looking into neurodiversity, looking at how um, all kinds of different conditions, which we would probably call um, either kind of psychiatric conditions or um, or disorders, you know, everything from voice hearing uh, or like autism and um, also kind of obsessional traits and, and, and loads of stuff uh, looking at all. That kind of stuff. Yeah. So the so these are kind of I guess these are these are sort of veils then, and and then there's a, a kind of pulling away to discover the kind of intricacies of like how it works. Like, is that right? Like, that's kind of what I gathered from what you were saying. And like, you know, where we're all we we all see things from these certain kinds of perceptions, and it has to do with what's going on inside of us, but also what's going on out outside of us. But because like it's like the observer effect, right? Like because we're the observer, it's naturally kind of biased to whatever is is happening with with us at that particular moment, right? Yeah, exactly. Like so, I I had a friend at school who could who could list all the all the goal scorers of every single World Cup since nineteen seventy something, right? Everyone who scored a goal, and uh, you know, he was absolutely mad about football. Now I I couldn't remember. I I can barely remember. Uh, what color England plays? What color England plays in? Because I'm just not interested in football. Um, so I mean, soccer, as you'd call it. So um, you know, my interests are, are are different. You know, I can remember all kinds of weird, wonderful facts about you know, what happened in 1858 because that's what my interest is. So in a way, that's a kind of that's that's a, a one level of the veil. You know, just what are you interested in? Um, but there's all, yeah, exactly. There's all kinds of different ways that our brains work in different ways to to see things and to not see things. And then, of course, when we take psychedelics, we might see a whole load of stuff um, in the world that we haven't noticed before. We might see a whole load of things about ourselves that we don't notice before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree with that a lot. I, I like to think of uh, 
you know, psychedelics as, as these kinds of tools that can, uh, that can be used in order to kind of enhance your vision, so to speak, you know, or like a, like a microscope or like a telescope, you know, I'm, I'm not the first person to, to say that, but that's the, that's the kind of metaphor that I, that I like, uh, applying to that because, uh, it just does feel like there is just this an extra sensory perception, this synesthetic experience happening. That's almost, you know, it's so hard to describe. It's so hard to explain, but, uh, but yeah, these are the kinds of things that you're interested in and you're, and you're diving into. How did you get interested in this, in this stuff? Um, right. Well, that goes back to like 20 years ago, around 20 years ago, I was um, sitting in, in my flat and I had to choose what dissertation I was going to do for my degree. And my degree was in um, the history and philosophy of science, technology and medicine. And I was sitting in my house and I was, I was having a joint actually. And uh, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses knocked at the door. And I just uh, I kind of I got chatting to them and I, I found it kind of fascinating. Um, and I was particularly interested at that time in their views on medicine and their views on science and their views on uh, the body and sex and kind of new inventions as well. Um, all that kind of thing. And I ended up doing my dissertation. I was I kind of compared their ideas on science and, 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 and medicine with uh, the kind of Puritan pioneers um, of the 17th century and different Puritan sects uh, in in England and in um, and in and in America. So so that was kind of the, the, the way in. And, and I, like I like uh, from there, I kind of I got really interested in um, in discovery in science. So how your particular um, beliefs actually would would influence your discovery. So a good example there is uh, a chap called um, Thomas Sydenham, who was a he was a Puritan revolutionary in England, and he was uh, he was it was his belief that you shouldn't really inquire into the into into theories and that was God's work and what you were supposed to do was just to take detailed records of God's work as it kind of festered in ulcers of, of God's children. So he was the first guy who um, really started taking detailed notes about d disease uh, progression and statistical medicine and all that kind of thing. And it came from a it came from a, a philosophical decision, uh, but it opened up a whole new kind, new branch of medicine. So that's kind of that was um, kind of part of my research. I mean, I've, I've always been kind of fascinated and um, um, by the apocalypse generally since since I was a child in, in all its manifestations from, you know, the end to uh, this idea of unveiling and then you know psychedelics have, have, have interested me for a long time and then I kind of got into the scripture of it as well and there's a really interesting um, bit from Matthew where uh, it talks about the end of the world at the end of the world uh, he kind of says that everything go wrong and there'll be gnashing of teeth and the, 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 the bad will be cast into a furnace of fire and stuff like that and that, that's the translation uh, at the end of the world and that word uh, is not actually world, uh, it's aeon. In Greek, it's aeon. aeon. It means at the end of the aeon, at the end of the epoch, there will be bad stuff will go on. So then I kind of got interested in, in, mm, in yeah. the veils that were in scripture, scripture being the kind of um, philosophical backbone, uh, or rather the philosophical lens through which uh, culture was viewed uh, and the world was viewed for a very long time and kind of arguably still is if you look at um, how science uh, or, you know, scientism, or what I would call scientism, uh, is built upon scripture and uh, has some of the same uh, shortcomings, if you like, of, of biblical scripture. Um, yeah. yeah, did you did you say did you say scientism? 
Yeah, yeah, scientism as in the kind yeah, of... What's, yeah, explain that a little bit. That sounds interesting. What, what do you mean by that? So, um, well, I guess, I guess the, the set of things that we uh, believe, or at least that, we're, that we will discuss in public with, uh, okay. with other people without being, you know, being, being laughed at. And uh, yeah, that's come kind of my, my, my academic background is history of science. And, 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 and you see a whole lot of um, scientific arguments are not conducted not generally conducted on scientific lines when they start looking in certain areas and those areas are invisible stuff if you start looking at um kind of invisible um forces or um uh, i'll give you, give you a good example of that is uh, a guy called Yves Rocard who was a French uh, physicist actually the father of the French uh, atom bomb uh you know like, like a really big physicist and he started looking he started working with water diviners to look into um uh, basically studying them and seeing if he'd work out the physics behind it. And, you know, there was a guy, he lost his grant, of course. Um, uh, the, uh, there's a whole lot of research into homeopathic dilutions, for example. That's a real big one, real big no-no. You can't talk about that. Everyone thinks you're a moron if you, if you start talking about homeopathy. Um, but the way that the science around that was conducted, or certainly um, uh, how the publishing was, um, was blocked, there's a guy called Benveniste, another French guy who was the head of the... Um, he was an immunologist, a, a head of INSERM, which is a kind of national uh, research uh, unit in France. And he was asked to do, to do um, research into homeopathy. And uh, he said, no, but homeopathy is, is bullshit. Uh, there's Avogadro's number, and I'm a scientist, I don't believe in that. And the, the funders said, look, we're not asking for your opinion, we're asking you to do the research because you're the best um, immunologist in the country. And he actually invented one of the assays. Uh, which is how you study whether, whether how, how effective a drug is, and so he he did the experiments and he found um, what you'd expect, which is that as you dilute a drug more and more, then uh, the efficacy, the potency goes down. But if you continue diluting it, then the efficacy starts to go up, and if you dilute a bit more, it goes down. And and, and basically, it, you you kind of set up a periodic wave. And he was blown away by this. He he couldn't believe it, so he closed the doors of his lab for literally years and conducted hundreds and hundreds of experiments on on this and um and, and eventually published a couple of years later and when he published the like he published in nature well first they wouldn't actually let him publish this is another example of the the veil uh which mm-hmm. is there they said you have to produce replications which is not actually what you normally do in science what you normally do is you publish and then you and then the replications come but anyway they demanded replications so he sent off the the protocol to four different labs um uh, around the world uh, they all got positive results, so he published. And then there was this, I, you know, it's kind of a long story, but basically the guy got, got uh, lost his academic posts and um, he, he lost his funding. And, and um, there was, he, he kind of, he'd invited these Italian physicists up to, up to do work on what's called coherent domain theory, which is looking into how water organises itself uh, on, a, on a molecular level and how it might, right. might perhaps store information. But that, you know, that mm-hmm. visit was, was blocked so that, anyway, there was kind of censorship and there was bullying and there was um, yeah, being kicked out of the lab and funding cuts and all, all kinds of stuff, which is nothing to do with what, what it, science is meant to be, which is kind of peer-reviewed, right. empirical research. I'm not saying, by the way, I'm, don't get me wrong here, I'm not saying that homeopathy is anything or is not anything. What I'm saying is the research was, was, was just uh, kind of crippled um, right at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, no, I get, I get what you're saying. It's like, um, are you familiar with uh, Rupert Sheldrake? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think he wrote a book called like uh, si- The Science Delusion or something like that. And uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I totally get what you're saying because it's like, to me, it just seems like if you're going to be intellectually honest, you're, if you're going to have a thirst for, for knowledge, information, and, and, and go on a quest for discovery, you have to be able to dive into to all areas without any kind of limitations or dogmas. And I thought it was pretty funny what you said. With the, he's like, oh, I'm a scientist. I don't believe in that. You know, it's like, <laughs> well, yeah, you're a scientist. So don't believe in it. Just do it. Conduct the experiments. You know yeah, <laughs> and it's, it's got historical form as well because, uh, like, the, for example, there was a guy called Semmelweis, um, who um, he was uh, a hospital doctor, um, and he was the guy who um, he came up with a theory basically uh, to explain why so many women were dying in childbirth, and he he kind of you know looked at a whole load of data, um, and he found out that these women died uh, in kind of two conditions and there were loads of women dying. It was one in 10. If I, I, the numbers escape me at the moment. There's a massive number of women dying. Um, oh, I'll find it here. It um, uh, da, 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 da. Oh, it doesn't matter anyway. Um, but so, so there were loads and loads of women dying and, 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 and they were dying when, they, when the doctor who was delivering the, the baby had come from either an autopsy of someone who had died of this disease, it's puerperal um, fever, uh, yeah. and or from uh, delivering a baby from another woman uh, who would also die. And, 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 and Semmelweis um, theorised that it was the doctor himself or, um, huh. who was the, the vector of this disease. And, you know, he was laughed. He was laughed at, lost his academic post. Actually, eventually ended up... Um, uh, he actually ended up getting uh, kicked to death in a mental asylum or beaten to oh death in God. a mental asylum because he went mad because he had clicked before germ theory uh, had been discovered, before before Pasteur right. and germ theory and all that kind of stuff. He'd clicked that right. there was this um, there was a thing and he tried to introduce measures like getting doctors to wash their hands. And they said, that's absolutely ridiculous. Then they, they, yeah. they likened it to kind of magic. You know, it's action at a distance. How the hell can a doctor carry a disease from one woman to another, another woman? Because they, they thought that disease at the time was a matter of imbalances in the, the humours of the body or, um, or miasmas or, or something else. They didn't, they didn't have the, the germ. And, and the germ was the other side of the veil. It was too small to be seen. Uh, and they hadn't right. they hadn't postulated right. it yet, and 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 he, he went mad because all of these women were dying and all these children were being orphaned, and uh, so so you see this all the way through um, the history of science, you, you know, um, people just not just just refusing to believe. Uh, uh, yeah, later. it seems so. It seems so. Uh, it seems so silly to us now. Like we we look back at it and we go, "What are you, you primitive savages? You couldn't you couldn't have figured out that a guy hacking another guy's leg off in an operating room and then going to reach his hands into a woman's vagina could actually cause some kind of harm?" It seems so silly, like laughable, like come on. But that is there's the veil right there. It's like this 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 collective kind of thing we have to go through this trial and error figure things out and then we look at it with clarity but yeah i mean th things like that have happened throughout all all history right like with uh when people proposed that maybe the earth was round or that we weren't the center of it, but you know then we have the her the people that call us heretics or the, you know they're like we can't have this kind of talk because this threatens the the church right um, yeah, I mean, certainly the helio heliocentric um, model, I mean, that's, you, know, you, you mentioned the telescope earlier, that's a very good example of an apocalyptic yeah. technology, which brings things beyond our normal range of, uh, of sensation, of vision, into focus. And what did Galileo see? He looked up in the sky and he said, oh, look, Jupiter's got moons. And 
uh, the scientists around him said, "We're not looking through your crazy, your crazy machine." What is that? That must be the devil's machine. Yeah, indeed. So, so very similar to the rhetoric that you, or slightly different to the rhetoric that you find around psychedelics uh, at the moment. Right. I mean, that's another one that seems to be breaking down. At the mo- uh, you know that um, that uh, kind of kind of ridiculous ideas about psychedelics um, that they are dangerous and they produce uh, madness and. Um, all that, all that kind of thing, and uh, uh, sadly, as they're breaking down, they seem to be. Um, well, then you've got capitalism coming along, and, um, and then, you've, then you've got a whole other layer of of law um, and 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 profit, and um, yeah. So there's veils and veils and veils and veils behind veils, and I'm kind of interested in how we tear them down, really, or how they get teared down. Yeah, I, you mentioned uh, you know people think that psychedelics make you crazy. Yeah, I think that that's a large part in the fear. You know, it's like this fear that everything needs to be in control, everything has to be orderly and in control. No one can be out of control because that's that's you know because I guess the people that are thinking that way are, are kind of afraid uh, or fearful. But uh, I love this. Uh, I love this quote from uh, I think it was Timothy Leary that said it. But he said uh, LSD is a psychedelic drug which occasionally causes psychotic behavior in people who have not taken it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, That is is very much the case. And we've got a um, a political uh, circus going on in England at the moment because uh, we've got an election again. And the slogan which um, which the incumbent uh, prime minister has is is strong and stable and um, yeah, I mean that's that's that thing about control, and, and and sadly, or perhaps happily, there is no fat controller. You know, uh, people are just trying to trying to get on with their lives. But but as soon as you try and uh, impose control, you impose a whole load of um, a whole load of lies, really. And that's what you see in science. You know, I'm I'm really interested in how it works in science. How the how the journals argue over stuff, what kind of things get published. Even that's breaking down, actually. It's quite interesting. There was a, the editor of The Lancet came out quite recently, um, this, I think about a year ago, saying that um, a lot of the scientific research, perhaps half, is simply wrong, was uh, was his comment. And he was saying all this thing about fake, fake news. You know, fake news is a big word. Uh, but it, yeah. it's like, it, it's very difficult to trust anything at the moment. You know, there was another... another um, Another famous uh, study done recently, attempted replications of 100 um, psycholo- uh, studies in, in psychology. And I think something like 30 of them were, were replicated, but the rest weren't, you know. And we're, we're in an interesting historical moment. And we've had moments like this before when the, um, when the, the lens really has, has begun to crack. And we saw this, or well, we didn't see it, the, during the Reformation, similar thing happened, you know, the, the idea that the, that the Pope... Um, the Pope can decide how things are just just completely fell apart, and now we've got the the scientific authorities are uh, you know people people are, are not trusting them anymore even 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 from the inside um, people aren't trusting right. the news media anymore uh, so it's it's quite a it's quite it's a very interesting time you know there's a lot of room for uh, creativity um, there's also a lot of room for a whole load of nonsense as well so we need to be quite empirical and quite thoughtful um, about you know about how we approach things you know 
Yeah, definitely. I think we, we are living in some strange and interesting times for sure. I think a lot of people are confused. I think old models are starting to kind of deteriorate and fall apart, you know, like you said, and uh, there's a lot of change happening. I want to get back to something that you said before about the end of an aeon, end of an epoch, you know, the this this concept of the veil being lifted. And, you know, I know that uh, for... There was like this big 2012 like Mayan calendar thing that everybody was predicting it's the end of the world, the end of the world, you know? And so I never took it to mean that when, when people are saying like we're going to have some kind of end of the world. But I, I do actually believe there, there was some kind of transformation or that we are in the process of, of some kind of transformation. And on top of that, I also think it's interesting that that there are lots of talks of end of end of ages or end of 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 uh, epochs or or you know pro- periods of time that that go through a cycle and then end. It, 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 what do you think about that? That's like a common theme, right? Um, well, there are definitely uh, yeah, there are definitely epochs, aren't there? And we had the Iron Age and we had the, the Bronze Age and and, and the um, and now we're in the Internet Age and, and what's going on next? They seem to be coming thick and fast at the moment. Something did actually happen on um, twenty twelve on uh, what was the what's the date? December the twelfth is that the date that the that the yeah. world remember coming to end? And it was um, yeah. I believe it was the first time. So I'm not sure if I get my figures right here, but I think it was the first time that do you know that um, that Korean pop star called Psy? Who did Gangnam um, Style? Yes, you know the yeah. horse dance thing. So that right, was right. the that was the first time that um, on that day it, that a certain number of hits of his of his particular uh, of his of his of his uh, dodgy song got seen. It was ba- yeah. basically it was it was it was a new epoch in uh, the number of yeah. people who had seen a really really cheesy pop song on the same day. Wow. Was it, was it a million? Or I can't quite remember exactly how many numbers. So it was actually a, a frontier was broken through on that day in terms so of... So Gangnam Style is bringing on the apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, and it is quite apocalyptic in a way. Well, at least we'll have something to dance to, you know, while the flames were burning and the bit fire and brimstone will be dancing. <laughs> dancing in a very cheesy fashion, you know. Um, yeah. So that's quite, I mean, just in terms of media, like, like, um, so we have we have our we have our internet age before we had the when when the when the book uh, when the when the the printing press came into Europe it came at a very interesting time and it completely changed the way that um, that society was run really because you suddenly had uh, people had access to knowledge and people could compare different books people could look at their own I mean the first book that was that really got into circulation was well, well Vulgate, uh, uh, sorry, versions of the of the Bible written in the vernacular, um, so people could read their own, uh, their own the the, the text basically, um, which is which was which is a big impetus for the for the Protestant. Right, like they, they they could read it for themselves for the first time without it being interpreted or mediated. Right, that that was the big thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Back in the day, you know, you weren't even um, only priests were allowed to were allowed to know Latin, so you didn't even know. Right, you right. Even you couldn't even hear it in your own language, let alone read it. Um, oh man, this is this is something. Uh, yeah, no, go on. But I'm very interested in this. Uh, what we're getting on right now. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, th- so then you had um, books, all kinds of books started coming out, and you got you got histories, for example, and you had um, Protestant historians were looking through accounts, different accounts from different places that have been obviously printed and distributed, um, and they were looking uh, initially for signs of the end of the world. Uh, looking right. for Jesus's uh, return to return to the earth, and that was what that's what the kind of early 
Protestant study of history was about. But you also got people producing political pamphlets, for example, uh, fairly cheap political pamphlets that could be distributed over a, a wide area. Um, so you had a massive shift in uh, in power politics. You know, in, in England, for example, you've got these northern industrial towns uh, with their own libraries, which could compete with the old university system. And you've got a whole bunch of new... Uh, you've got uh, new, new knowledge kind of bubbling up in all different places. And then you go you go back a few more clicks, um, back to, say, uh, kind of, you know, Jerusalem at the uh, at the beginning of this, this the current era, uh, you know, around the time of, of Christ. Um, uh, I'm not saying he existed or anything like that, but around that time. Uh, and you, mm-hmm. you, you, you had a, a new technology then, which were these codices, which was basically a new way of binding books. Uh, and these books kind of went out all, all through the um, through through the Roman Empire, and brought this idea that uh, you know law could be law in a book, um, and stories in a book could be you know you know the, these stories spread out in a massive way. You look at the you look at the early history of, of Christianity, and then and also the backlash. Backlash is fascinating because some of the stuff that the Gnostics were looking into was um, who has the authority to say what is what. Uh, that was one of the big controversial things that the Gnostics brought about, um, invisible powers uh, and unauthorised cures. And then, you know, you come right back up to the present and we've got the same issues arising. Who has the authority to say what's what? You know, back in the day, the anti-Gnostics were saying, if you don't have a bishop, then you're not a church. And the Gnostics says, well, if you've got the Holy Spirit, then you're a church. And now, you know, you ha- now you have the, the, the editors of journals who basically decide... Um, what is valid in terms of what is truth uh, today. Uh, you also had, yeah, this thing about unauthorised cures. You know, uh, Irenaeus, who wrote uh, Against Heresies, which was a big anti-Gnostic tract back in the day, um, uh, he, he says, you know, if you're not a doctor, you, you, you can't be doing cures. And you get exactly the same thing with unauthorised cures today. And also, again, these ideas of invisible powers. You know, I was just talking about homeopathy a moment ago. Um, uh, which is a big no-no. You really can't talk about uh, invisible powers. Um, and and back in the day, you know, it was there was the Holy Spirit that moved, uh, that moved and was completely uh, uncontrollable by by the authorities. That was one of one of the big things in the Gnostic time was that uh, these Gnostic groups took their instructions directly from, um, um, like voices, basically uh, voices and visions that they had or dreams that they had. You know, again, the coming back to the new apocalypse. That's another thing that uh, that my book looks at is interaction with the voices in our heads. So how many people hear voices, and uh, how those interactions progress. How people become friendly with their voices. Um, how those voices can can end up being quite quite interesting and uh, quite informative. Yeah, yeah, and and it's interesting that. You know, there's certain. I I know you spent time down in Brazil, right? Uh, with the Santo Daime uh, tradition. Yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah, yeah, I've spent some time in Peru, and it's just interesting. The people there, they they accept these kinds of things. Where you know, where I was, it's like you know, hearing voices or seeing things or animals with spirits, plants with spirits. Obviously, you know, it's just these are accepted parts of the culture everybody conspires to agree that this is generally considered to be normal and that there's nothing wrong and there's nothing crazy and there's no need to you know uh control anybody or anything like that for tell them that they're nuts yeah i mean it's it's kind of the case that in pretty much um as far as i'm aware anyway uh most indigenous 
societies have a place for people who hear voices. You know, mm-hmm. and so you know, some some estimates say uh, one in ten people hear voices. You know, I've only had the pleasure once. I was lying in bed and I heard my name being shouted, Daniel. Uh, well, you know, my, my name's normally Danny, but you know, if my if my mum's cross with me, she might say Daniel. Uh, but I heard my name being shouted. And I kind of looked round. I was quite surprised at all this. Um, curiously, if you look into the Bible, when 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 the when the God names appear. They appear by saying the name of the prophet. They might say Moses, Moses, and he'll say, "Here am I," or they might say Abraham, Abraham, and he says, "Here am I." And this is, if you look at uh, accounts of the kind of um, uh, kind of psychiatric accounts, this is one of the one of the most common words to hear is the listener's own voice. Uh, unfortunately, when I heard this voice, um, I, I said, "What the fuck is that?" Um, rather than kind of politely addressing yeah. whatever, whatever voice it was, and, and that was the end of our conversation. But you know, Moses, Moses and Abraham were more polite, and they got more out of the voices that they heard. Oh, you mean you didn't get any tablets or anything? Uh, no, no tablets, sadly. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's this is interesting because I, I want to dive into the to, into this stuff because um, you know we 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 mentioned. Uh, you mentioned kind of like, you know, the people were, were reading the text, everybody's sharing these, these thoughts and ideas. So there's so many veils that are being lifted, ideas are being communicated, and there's authorities that feel like, uh-oh, you know, this stuff's getting out of hand because they used to mediate the experience. But for some reason now, people who seem to be devout, devoted to religions, it, it seems like it's okay. It's okay for the people of the past to hear voices and to see visions and stuff like that. And so this is your area of expertise. What was what was going on back then, and why was it considered to be, I guess, uh, normal or acceptable in the Bible stories? Um, well, it's it's normal and acceptable anyway. I mean, basically, people have been hearing voices with a great deal of frequency for forever. Uh, you know, um, look at any religious tradition and look at any uh, population all over the world. It's only really a very narrow uh, historical moment a very narrow narrow cultural moment that we've decided to pathologize these voices and of course that makes them much more aggressive because they're trying to get our attention um right so uh, yeah. well that's wait that's really sorry danny that's that's really really interesting what you just said here that the voices become more aggressive and we because we've pathologized it they're trying to get our attention well that that's that's fascinating wow i never i never thought about that like if you look on the dissociative, well, I have um, looked on the dissociative identity disorder website, which is basically right. people talking about how to deal with voices. There's a consensus, and that consensus is the way you deal with your voices is you develop a relationship with them, and the way you develop a relationship with them is you speak politely to them, you you listen to them regardless of how mean they are. Uh, and you try and get their names, which is very interesting, because if you look at any occult tradition, that's one of the ways you get power over a spirit, is you get the name of the spirit. Um, ah. Or, you know, yeah. even in the, uh, uh, in the Amazonian tradition, you know, uh, the, the spirit might be a spirit of a plant, and you get the, you get the Icaro of, 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 of that plant. So you get right, the power. Right. But, I mean, so it could be a name, or it could be uh, uh, an Icaro, which is, which is a kind of, it's a phrase in another sense, a musical phrase or a linguistic phrase. Uh, but basically, yeah. you, get a, you get a hook, and then, and and you know, looking into the to uh, onto the forums, it's super interesting because once people have names, once they've got a name, and, and they'll say things like, um, you know, um, uh, concentrate on one that gives you his name, um, 
and and people start talking about how their relationship with their voices gets better and then the voices start to tell them stuff like they might say oh you're looking for your camera it's in your wallet uh for example or there was one example i read which was a voice that said to said to the voice hearer um there's something going wrong with your cows and he went out to go and check his cows and they've broken into the feed room you know and that is like that's what the voices in in the shamanic context for example they they're allies which give you advice right. and they give you information and um uh, indigenous ayahuasca 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 use is a lot about um, about divination you know finding lost objects is is one of the one of the one of the chief things they did uh, also divination in the sense of finding out what disease somebody had uh, or finding out how to treat it for example so again that might well come through the voices and i mean i'm making no claim about uh, about what the um, ontology of these voices are I mean if they exist or where they exist or whether they're in their heads or, or whatever but when you start getting voices that speak to two people and say similar things to them and they then they um, they get together and they say well that's, that's curious because like I've had experiences um, like, I had a, like on Ayahuasca one time in a session a famous um, magician appeared well came to me in this ceremony um, and I, I, I said, I said to it, look, get, what are you doing here? This isn't your lineage. Uh, I said, I don't do celebrity mediumship. Um, just you know, <laughs> what nonsense is this? And I, I didn't, you know, didn't tell anybody about it. And then immediately after the session, somebody came up to me and started talking to me about that particular uh, somewhat famous magician. And you know, I've been drinking, I've been drinking ayahuasca for about, um, for about seven years at that point. No one had mentioned it, uh, him to me at any other point. Anyway, so I had a chat to this guy about um, about the magician, and then later on in the day, I was getting a lift home, and the guy who gave me the lift also mentioned this 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 particular magician as well. Um, so when you start to get transpersonal effects, basically, when you start to get information which is then verified, um, yeah, like oh, I'll give you another example. I mean, my my wife, uh, she uh, she would have um, dreams uh, that she used to tell me in the morning when we were living in Brazil. It's kind of I don't know how far to go with this story. It's a bit of a long story, but basically, the, um, one time she had this dream and she told me about about glass, loads of broken glass that she that, that that we found in the dream. And then later on that day, we went to a certain place that she'd never been to before, and she said, "This is the place it was." And then um, like the long and the short of it is, we started. She started digging frantically in the ground like a mad woman. She started unearthing this glass. And this glass, and it was six sacks of glass, and this glass had been buried in kind of, um, basically, in Brazilian black magic, that's what you do if you want to curse a place. You smash smash bottles of cachaça, of rum, and then bury them in the ground. And, you know, when you start getting stuff like that, which is either the voice or the dream or the vision actually shows you something that's going on in the world, you know, that's just, that's just empiricism. Um, if, if, you, if, you, if, you start, if you're ignoring that because of your theory... You, 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 yeah, you know, it's just um, it's kind of nonsense. So, yeah, so those voices. Yeah, like- no, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I could just say real quickly. I mean, like, yeah, I've, I've had that happen actually, like a lot. Like, I have a dream about something, and then someone set, mentions it to me the next day, or something like that, or something appears the in, in that week. That happens to me a lot. <laughs> yeah. Indeed, and, and you've got an open mind. You know, if you, if your mind isn't really open to that kind of that kind of stuff. Um, then you're, it's much less likely to happen. And uh, it's a quite interesting example of this is if you look at the um, uh, the TCM uh, research, the transcranial magnetic uh, stimulation, TMS rather, 
uh, transcranial ma magnetic stimulation research when you basically put the you know have you heard of the god the god helmet the god uh, helmet yeah, no god, what's that the god helmet it's, a, it's, a, it's basically a helmet that you put on your head and it and it puts um, uh, low intensity magnetic fields through your brain and most oh with like all the wires and stuff that are like hooked up yeah 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 exactly and if you no. if you do that to the temporal lobe most people will experience a presence but um I think it's something like 10% of people won't experience a presence. And uh, like um, uh, hardcore a atheists, basically, people who are dogmatic atheists are less likely to experience a presence. You know, mm. uh, Richard Dawkins is an is 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 example. He, he put the, the God helmet on. He was, he, he was one of the 10% of people who didn't experience a presence. Um, so what's that kind of saying about what our beliefs do to our brains, what they allow us to, to perceive, to notice? Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. kind of a bit like the same way. I'm not interested in football, so I can't remember stuff about football. There's Richard Dawkins is not interested in uh, experiencing a presence, and and uh, he, he he doesn't feel a presence. But kind of one thing. I yeah, think, he, he seems like he's like vehemently opposed to it. Like I wonder what would happen if he drank ayahuasca. Oh uh, yeah, I mean maybe nothing. I mean who, who knows? Um, right. Um, but there was another thing I did want to come back to, which was um, so these voices um, they often say things. Um, I take the example of the, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, which was uh, a text from, I think, a second century text. Um, Mary Magdalene, uh, or, or rather Jesus Christ, appears to his favorite disciple, who is Mary Magdalene, uh, in a vision. And he says to her, do not make any laws like the lawmaker. Uh, and that's what he says. And that is really not conducive to the aims of empire. If you've got uh, voices knocking around, uh, uh, telling people that they shouldn't make any laws, you know, uh, according to the uh, the Roman Empire, you know, they wanted to they wanted to be making the laws, and they wanted bishops to be um, uh, dispersing those laws through through the, through the empire. So so Paul comes along, Saint Paul comes along, and he says uh, basically, um, if any of you thinks he's spiritual and, and uh, uh, and and has and has a vision, then know that these are the teachings of Jesus Christ. And uh, you get um, you get the dogmas, for example. You get the the uh, the creed, which says you know I've, well, one famous thing it says is I believe in the resurrection in flesh. I believe in communion of saints. I believe in this, that, and the other. Uh, but the resurrection in flesh, and, and the question arises: Why, why, why do you have to promise that you believe in the resurrection of flesh? Um, and if you don't, then you'll go to hell forever, basically, is, is, is the gist of it. And the reason is because the, the resurrection in spirit, which is basically Jesus Christ coming to you in dreams or in flashes of inspiration or in voices or in visions, is something that the, that the, uh, the Roman authorities at the time really didn't want people to be, to be doing. Because if you're taking your authority from voices in your head, then you're very difficult, difficult to control. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Amen to that. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I, 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 you know, I, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not like, I guess I, I grew up in a traditional kind of Roman Catholic as it's called, uh, household. And, uh, I think my, you know, my parents to this day are, they still, you know, they do this weird thing where, you know, to me, I, I've read a little bit about the teachings of, of Jesus and whatnot, and it seems like to me the true message that he was trying to preach was, you know, you're, you have all the power, you, you know, do unto others as you would have done unto you, you know, that kind of thing. And, and you know, he was like an anarchist, in my opinion. You know, I, I see Jesus as like, as like an anarchist. And, uh, 
And, you know, it's, it's, it's this kind of Catholic tradition where it's like everything has to be kind of segmented and there's rules and there's a hierarchy. And it's like, you have to go to these, you know, gold temples that they build with, uh, you know, they have all this money and, and you're supposed to bow your head and worship. And it just doesn't seem right to me. It doesn't seem, uh, really true. So there is this kind of control. It's it really, when you get down to it, I mean, would you agree with that? It all comes down to fear and control. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah, and it's um, it, it's, it's a very deliberate effort, you know. The yeah. the, the text, I mean, the Gospels say very, very different things to what Paul says. For example, I mean, it's, it's it's exactly opposite in in many areas. Um, Paul says, um, you know, it's by faith that you'll be saved. You know, and Jesus never said anything, never said anything about that. You know, by faith, the the idea that what you believe in is uh, is is what you're, will you, will save you. Um, which is quite interesting because obviously he wanted you to believe in a certain set of rules, which um, which he spent a lot of time distributing amongst the ch- amongst the churches, um, right? For so, power yeah, and control, um, yeah. But I mean, this goes way back. This goes back into the uh, into the, uh, the Old Testament tradition uh, as well. You have um, they give you an example, it, it, like. Um, so in the oh so take the snake for example there's the snake um now in our hebrew the language the hebrew language is an extremely flexible language really really flexible and um the the hebrew text doesn't have any vowels right uh so the way it used to be read um well we don't know how it used to be read and you you get the the masorites in 7th century ad who decide what the correct pronunciation of um of certain words is right um so uh let me give you an example of that there's there's a line um genesis 3 first line of genesis 3 says uh and the snake was the most subtle of all the animals that yahweh elohim had created something along those lines uh and then if you look at the very the the line immediately before it it says uh, and adam and eve were naked and they were not ashamed right now that word naked and that word uh subtle is actually the same word in hebrew um, exactly hmm. the same word. Yeah, spelled in exactly the same word. One of them is arum, and one of them is arom. But the spelling is 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 the same. And that u and the o was set in the seventh century A.D. by by the Masorites. And and this was a, a kind of um, a group of of, um, of scribes who decided this is what the Bible says. Right. So uh, the snake doesn't gets only one adjective in the entire text, and it's that it's subtle. Um, that word. Now, if you look elsewhere in the text where you see that that, that word, that collection of letters, um, it's normally not a, uh, a vice. It's normally a virtue. In fact, you look at the book of Proverbs, it's 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 found over and over again. And you get lines like, um, you know, the, the subtle are crowned with knowledge, for example. Uh, it's it's a virtue to be to be um, to be subtle. Uh, so, you know, we, we, we get this um, by the time of, of Revelations, the book, book of Revelations, it comes along and it says, um, it's not a book I like, by the way, but it, but it, it says that the, the snake is the same as Satan, who's the same as that great dragon, who is the great deceiver, right? The great deceiver, the lie, right? Now, if you look in the Garden of Eden, who is it that tells the lie? The snake doesn't tell a lie. Uh, it's Yahweh Elohim who says, if you eat that fruit, you will surely die. And they don't die, right? There's the lie. The snake tells the truth. The snake says, if you eat that fruit, your eyes will be opened. And the, obviously, the, the opening of the eyes is another apocalypse. That's the... The, the loosing of the, 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 the lifting of the veil, right? Right, um, right. And there's loads of this stuff, loads and loads of places where the, where the, the pronunciation of the text 
was set. I mean, there's another one. Um, back to that same story, Eve says, Yahweh well, Elohim uh, says to says to Eve, uh, "Why did you eat? Um, why did you eat the fruit?" And she says, uh, in 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 the the version that comes down to us now, she says, "The snake beguiled me, and I ate." Now, if you look at the Hebrew, and there's another way of pronouncing that, and it's um, this isn't some um, this isn't even shifting around the letters. This is just simply another way. You just put different vowels. And same way that hot and hat and hit and hut all mean different things in English. Um, when you change the vowels in Hebrew, then the, 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 the meaning is completely different. Um, and, 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 and what she says in another, in another way of reading it is the snake elevated me and I ate. Right. Um, mm. But of course, that particular translation or that particular um, way of reading was... Um, not so much heretical, but that was that was not that was that was not the way that you could read it after after that 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 vowel scheme had been set. So you've got um, and, you, and you go further back from the Masoretes, you go back to like kind of sixth century AD, uh, and you get you get um, I don't know how far you want to go into this, but there's very, there's loads of different levels. Yeah, let's go. Let's get far into it. I love this stuff. I mean, I, I just before uh, I'll, I'll just jump in and say this because this is at the top of my mind. Um, I, I from what I know, because I obviously uh, you know my 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 knowledge is limited on this, but I remember hearing something about uh, you know the Garden of Eden story with the snake, but you know it turns out that the the snake is is really the god, and the god that we think was the god from the story is really the the devil, and so it's reversed, right? Is that um, yeah, I mean, there's a book called, there's a Gnostic text called The Testimony Gnostic, of Truth. Gnostic, yeah. Yeah, the, the, yeah. The, one of the texts, of, one of them from the Nag Hammadi um, collection, which is basically a bunch yeah. of texts that was found in the middle of the 20th century, um, another apocalypse, as it happens, when you find something that was that was hidden. Um, but, um, yeah, The Testimony of Truth is there's, there's the book to read there, is the text to read there, because it's basically the Garden of Eden story told from the, the, from the perspective of the snake. Um, right. But, but that was... Um, you know that was quite quite a common uh, interpretation. It seems at yeah. that at, at that time, you know, the, the Gnostic sects were were stamped out, and all their books were destroyed uh, and lost for for many centuries at the beginning of the the Roman Empire. Um, but what I kind of what I wanted to say were there was um, if you go even further back, you know, there's people think of the Bible as a book, but it's more of a library, really. It's got different documents and written by uh, different communities at different times, and and, and and like kind of importantly, at very very different political systems. So the first level of it is called the Yahwist, and that was written when the when uh, kind of Palestine or, or the tribes of Israel were a commonwealth. And they had elders, and some of those elders were women. Um, Deborah, for example, was, a, was, a, was an elder who was a woman who used to sit under a palm tree and give advice. Right? Then you get a mon- then, uh, then there was a monarchy. Um, basically, Saul arose, and, and, David, and then his son David, and then there was Solomon. And so, so the, mon- the monarchy happened, uh, and it seems, well, basically, what happened was Solomon charged so much tax to the northern part of the kingdom that when he died, um, the Northerners came down and said, said, to his, said to his son, can you please lower the taxes? And he went to his advisors and said, what should I say? And one of them said, you should say this, um, my little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Uh, when he <laughs> chastised you with whips, I'll chastise you with scorpions. And he increased the tax burden. There was a tax revolt which broke into a civil war that split the tribes for 200 years. But then the Northern tribes wrote their own book, which was called the Elohist. And then those two books were combined into another text, and then that, and so this is kind of eighth century BC, and then 
a whole load of other stuff happened. Um, so you had two kingdoms, and then, and then one of the kingdoms, the northern kingdom, gets overrun by the Assyrians. And these two communities come back together because all the refugees flow into Jerusalem. Jerusalem had, had, had become a kind of um, a, a fat capital by this point. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the, the political system had changed completely, and the priests had got a whole load of power, a whole load of money, uh, next to the king there, and then they wrote their own text, which was the priestly document, and that's the the one that has all the kind of what do you do with a leper, and what do you do with a, um, uh, what do you do with someone accused of adulteress, uh, adultery, um, you get a whole load of law in that one, and then um, some few hundred years later, uh, one of the kings comes along, um, and he decides he's going to smash all the shrines in the country, in the countryside, the shrines which Solomon built. Uh, and and the kind of rhetoric around it is that they're all pagan shrines, um, but 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 the, the 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 logic of it or the capitalistic intent of it was to make sure that all of the first fruits, everyone's basically economic resources, had to be tithed up in Jerusalem. So you know, in the, one of the first rules of Jewish economy is you cannot take your take your um, your oil and your um, uh, your lambs and your basically your food. Uh, to your local shrine, you have to take it to the, only the one shrine in Jerusalem. So they had this constant flow of economic resources flowing into Jerusalem, and it was uh, a way to centralise the government and centralise the state, basically. So then you get Deuteronomy. So you've got all these different layers of of um, text, and actually something fascinating about it, from my perspective, is that the the first two layers, which are bits of the Bible that I really like, and, and when I'm talking about these layers, they're all kind of they all got put together in a kind of piecemeal and patchwork way um, mm-hmm. in various points in history. So it gets really, really complex, the kind of... Right, it's it's not like one guy sat down and wrote this. It was, it's all, yeah, right? No, absolutely not, which is why you get stories yeah. where, you know, um, Noah... Uh, kind of, kind of, is is the flood 150 days or is it 40? Is it 40 days? You know, uh, mm-hmm. or uh, you you suddenly get like stories kind of change from from you know the, the baddies will be one tribe and then it'll be another one, or um, because there's all these different bits of text have been have been put together. And you know, one of the really interesting things is is is, is the early text is um, is not monotheistic. It's what's called monolatry. Um, which is is basically polytheistic, but it's where you believe that your god is the best. So you get lines. Um, I was just looking at this today. Actually, you get lines like, um, "Now I know that um, Yahweh is stronger than all the gods of Egypt." For example, now that's not monotheism. That is um, that's paganism, where your god is the toughest god. Um, so, so even the monotheism is monotheism comes hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, into this story and it kind of sits on top of it uh and it and it kind of comes when um basically during the babylonian exile so it's another political uh incarnation of the the israelites but this time they're they're exiles and they start getting influences from zoroastrianism and zoroastrianism has a kind of not quite monotheistic but it has a very very large god and it also has the devil uh, or a devil who is the it's called the lie and the deceiver which is Obviously, the the in, in Revelations, that's the name that gets applied to the snake um, in the Garden of Eden. So, basically, what I'm saying is is you get veil upon veil upon veil, and then so you get all 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 these texts uh, knitted together to make a, a a politically controlling document that tells you what you can do with your goods, um, and uh, and then you get um, kind of translations translation issues all the way through the. Uh, through the Middle Ages as well, um, 
you know, I'll give you one example which you'll, which you'll like. There's this line, the meek shall inherit the earth, right? Mm. Comes from Exodus. Comes from um, New Testament. I've heard that, yeah. So the meek shall inherit the earth, right? Look at that word meek. Um, it's anav in Hebrew. Uh, and it, it, you know, Moses, for example, is described as the meekest of all men on the face of the earth, right? It doesn't mean what you might imagine meek means. Moses stood up to Pharaoh and, you know, wiped out enemy tribes to the last man, woman and child. You know, nothing meek about him. It doesn't mean meek. It means um, somebody who is uh, kind of um, subservient to the will of God, but not subservient to the will of to the will of, of man. Right? The meek shall inherit the earth. The word uh, for inherit there oh. is is normally seize. If you look at where it's where it's uh, the word is um, yarash. Um, it's normally elsewhere in the Bible. It's translated as seize. Right? Meek is normally translated as poor. Uh, inherit is normally translated as seas, and earth is is actually it's eretz, um, it's land. It normally means land, so you could translate that, and that's how it's translated in most modern Bibles. The meeks inherit the earth, but if you were to look at those words, how they're normally translated generally in the text, it is the poor shall seize the land, which is uh, a really good hmm. idea. Yeah. The so so yeah. So basically, what what, what they're saying is the ninety nine percent will rise up and and take over the the earth. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly that. I mean, um, I did. Uh, I was part of Occupy. Something like 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 let's 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 overthrow the elites and and make sure that they're out of power. Well, yeah. Because look, I mean, you're touching on a lot of things that I that I talk about a lot on on this show, and and it's like. You know this this idea that we have to have these the belief systems that uh, that that we have to take practice in actually creating to control to you know like we're 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 kind of in on the game as well not us but you know people in general uh, are are kind of in on this because they feel like they have to have some kind of meaning in their life or they have to have some kind of uh, purpose and here comes you know these at, which at one time was you know these religions. That 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 was the the state, right? And then we had this idea, this kind of what we could like to consider a new idea of a separation of church and state. But th- what happens is the state becomes kind of a religion almost in itself, with you know its own kind of doctrines and constitutions and bills and parliamentary kind of uh, proceedings. You know, special robes being wear and, and and tradition and things like that, right? Yeah, yeah. And designs on omnipotence, right, uh, right. omniscience. You know, it's looking for emails. It wants to know everything. Yeah, it wants to be everywhere. Where our uh, our God over here is uh, better than the omniscient. other God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all that kind of stuff. You know, you have to you have to you have to make sacrifices to it. You have to pay your taxes. Yeah. Uh, uh, all that kind of stuff. We even talk about um, you know the market um, the market being our state. We have to placate the market. Um, yeah, it's 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 a, it's a form of of, of idolatry. It's as simple as that. It's it's, it's idolatry. Yeah, um, it's certainly the way I see it. Yeah, but it, again, it gets back to this. It, it, uh, oh, go ahead, Danny. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to say, you know, it has its whole priestcraft as well. You know, it's got it's got um, a whole class right. of scientists who say this is um, uh, this is the this is the truth. So, I mean, what I find kind of fascinating about it. Um, sorry to go on about this. Is that the, these four levels of the Bible, right? You have the inspired level, uh, which is the first level, first two levels really, the Yahwist and the Elohist, and then you have this second level, which is the priestly level, right? And then you have the third level, which is the um, the money level, the, the the what you do with your goods level. And if you look at how science works, mm-hmm. you know you have you have um, most most people who are, who are pure scientists, they a lot of a lot of their ideas will come from inspiration. They might come from dreams. Um, there's there's plenty of examples of those. There's um, 
Uh, Kekulo is a good example. He was the guy who turned his chair towards the fire one day and he saw an Ouroboros in his, in his kind of dozing state and, and uh, he clicked that, the, uh, that benzene was a ring rather than a, rather than a straight line. Um, the same guy who he came up with um, structural theory, which is in chemistry where you, you know, you have the carbon atoms have uh, four arms and hydrogen atoms have two arms, and all that kind of thing. You know, those models of, of kind of chemicals that you stick together. Um, so he came up with that whilst he was uh, on the night bus to Clapham Road, um, uh, half asleep. Anyway, so you get this kind of um, uh, obsessional, some, 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 sometimes obsessional, sometimes inspired um, scientists who come up with brilliant ideas. Calvin Cycle was another one, actually. He, 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 he. That, that's how. Um, uh, basically, the, the 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 pathway of of chemicals, which uh, which photosynthesis, which which is the, the the basis of photosynthesis. He 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 clocked that in about thirty seconds whilst he was uh, waiting for his wife in a car park. Anyway, so you, so you get this level of inspiration, and then you get this level of priestcraft, which is the the journals and who owns the journals. And what you're allowed to say and what you're not allowed to say and what's true and what's not. Um, and then you get the pharmaceuticals companies and you get this other level, which is kind of monetizing it. So I, I find it absolutely fascinating the way that the, 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 these levels of inspiration, then control of inspiration, uh, then monetization of, of, of belief are pretty much exactly recapitulated in um, the practice of modern science, where you have this inspiration and then you have people saying what's true. And then you have um, companies... Um, saying, you know, uh, basically flogging it and saying how it should be flogged. Sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted yeah. you. No, that's brilliant. I, I'm really glad that you chimed in with that because, yeah, it it seems like to me, and, and I want to get your, your take on this, it's like it, it, it seems like we, we have these these maybe beliefs that, that come to us, maybe uh, from inside of us or whatever it is, uh, you know, voices or we're, you know, we're making sense of our environment around us. We're putting things together. We're, we're having experiences where we're ingesting certain kinds of chemicals or spices or herbs or something like that. And we're having these experiences. And and, and it seems like that's the beginning stages of what I would consider to be something that's pure and kind of true, more true, because it's kind of more directly experienced by the individual. But then, as you're saying, there's these stages that happens, and it seems like it happens in all of institutional settings like we as human beings we we feel the need to kind of put everything into little houses so we create these little houses of institutions churches religions uh higher education institutions uh government state you know uh corporations things like that and then we have these kinds of experts quote unquote and you know people that interpret things and mediate things for us and tell us how it is so it seems like this you know like like I'm kind of you know just piggybacking on what you're saying here is exactly how this goes down? Why do you think? Why do you think this is the the way that it, it carries out? And well, first of all, do you agree with what I said? And then, secondly, why why do you think that is? Um, yeah, I, I certainly agree with you. Um, why do I think that is? Um, that's a really good question, and um, I think partly it's it's just the um, uh, partly I, I think it's something to do with the unknown. People just kind of, or, or at least the unfixed. So when there's new ideas, um, they're just a little bit creepy. Or when there's ideas that come from the other, they're just a little bit weird and people kind of like things black and white. They like to know who the friend, who the enemy is, whether that's a political enemy or, uh, you know, a military enemy 
or you know who's in our gang and who's in their gang and that's that's that goes back to perception again you know if you look on uh, you look at star wars for example you know who the bad guys are they're the stormtroopers you know oh yeah you go back into tribal oh, yeah. you look at the bible again you, you like who are the good guys well it's the israelites who are the bad guys it's everybody else you know we we have kind of our brains are category making devices they are compulsive cat- categorizers like mm. like what i was saying about about how uh, how autists aren't actually or that's the one of the biggest differences between autists and neurotypicals is that they are not compelled to make categories in the same way and they struggle with categories in fact um but we have a kind of tendency and if we're not careful it can make us it can make us racists for example um and uh, it can you know it kind of demonizes the other um I'll give you an example of how this works in the modern academy, right? Um, and in, in, in the study of ayahuasca, um, which I've, you know, I, I look after. A, um, anyway, I'm quite quite involved in the kind of academic uh, work going on in uh, around ayahuasca. Now, um, mm-hmm. the old mm-hmm. um, the taboos, which are the food taboos in the jungle, and actually the other taboos as, as well, uh, have not been studied at all by uh, people who are studying ayahuasca. So they don't look into what happens if you if you uh, if you don't eat pork and if you don't eat um, all the things that you're not supposed to eat. Um, they haven't looked into what, what what the difference between taking ayahuasca after you you know when you when you have a uh, when you haven't had sex for uh, however long it is in the dietas. They don't look into that stuff. Um, uh, but what I mean, if you think about ayahuasca, right? Um, if you want to go and take ayahuasca in most most places uh, in the Western world, anyway. Uh, or the industrial north, they will ask you, are you on selective serotonin uh, reuptake inhibitors? Are you on SSRIs? Are you on antidepressants? And if you say, yes, I'm on antidepressants, they'll say, well, no, you can't take it then. Because back in the 90s, I think it was 1996, Callaway and Grob, two um, uh, uh, American white scientists, uh, and that's good scientists as well, don't get me wrong, but they came up with a theoretical contraindication, which was, if you are going to drink ayahuasca, then it might have this kind of reaction with um, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, right? Uh, and this has become a dogma. It's actually a taboo. It's a scientific taboo. You can't eat that if you want to take that, right? In practically every every ayahuasca, uh, neo-ayahuasca group, um, that is the case. Now, there is absolutely no research about that. It hasn't been tested. There hasn't been a single case ever of anybody who has uh, died or suffered from the combination of SSRIs, antidepressants, and ayahuasca. And in fact, there's whole um, one of the ayahuasca religions mm-hmm. in Brazil, UDV. They just they they've never um, kept that taboo. Uh, there have been um, thousands, tens of thousands of people on antidepressants who have taken ayahuasca. None of them have died, right? So the question arises: you know, why have we got this taboo? based on absolutely nothing, and bear in mind that we're supposed to be the empirical ones, and why have we investigated nothing, I mean, I'm saying literally nothing, of the indigenous taboos, you know? These are people who have been doing it for hundreds, if not thousands of years, and they've got a whole series of taboos on what you should and shouldn't do. Like pork, for example, you don't eat pork, why not? Because the spirits don't like the smell of pork, you know? And we look at that and we say... Mm. Well, A, what are the spirits? We can't see them, so we don't know what you're talking about. B, what the hell are you talking about? You know, they like the smell of pork. So we haven't looked into it, you know. We haven't looked into sexual dieta, haven't looked into menstrual cycle, 
and um, and ayahuasca, no, none of that had been studied. Now, why? I mean, you could say it's just racism. Basically, it's just racism, which is which is how we've treated indigenous people for um, many, many centuries now. Uh, we've we've mm-hmm. decided that they were mm-hmm. devil worshippers, and uh, you know now we finally got hold of their brew. And uh, there's all this stuff about well, can it treat depression and can it treat this, that, the other. You know, uh, it, it's kind of astonishing, it, astonishingly arrogant. Um, so uh, it's kind of warring priests. In, in in one sense, it's warring priests. You know, this this priest believes this, this priest believes believes that, and uh, who has access to the king? Yeah. You know. Yeah. What what do you, what do you mean by uh what you you just said it, it's kind of astonishingly uh, arrogant. I, I'm curious to know a little bit more about that because that was that was kind of I liked where you were going with that a little bit with the, the this can cure depression and all that kind of stuff. If I'll give you an example, right? Um, on this ayahuasca list that I I, I look after the library of a of an academic ayahuasca list, right? And a question arose, and the question was someone had, had emailed one of these academics saying, "Can ayahuasca cure cancer?" Right, the academics got their heads together and they said, "Well, well, you've got to go back to it and say there is no evidence that ayahuasca can cure cancer." Right? The answer to that question, if you go to the jungle and you ask that question, "Can ayahuasca cure cancer?" Uh, you may well hear something different. I've personally got two friends. Um, I'll tell you about one of them, uh, but both of them have both of them have have had their cancers, terminal cancers, that have gone into remission. Right? One of them, this is quite an interesting story. She was at home in her um, in a in her house in England, uh, and she someone came. Basically, there was a there was a guy who uh, had to deliver a compost unit, yeah, a compost to her house. And as he was delivering this compost unit, as he was walking up the driveway, he made a phone call and he was phoning up someone who used to run sessions. And um, I'm trying to think about how much how much the story I should <laughs> I should tell, but basically, um, when the door was opened. Uh, and he was meant to give her the compost unit. He gave her the phone by mistake because whatever, either because he's stupid or because some because he was uh, compelled to or whatever it was. Anyway, she took the phone, and the person on the other end of the phone said, "If you want to drink uh, this uh, this this brew, you have to stop taking um, your you have to stop stop taking um, pharmaceuticals." And uh, the person, which maybe isn't even true, but anyway, that's what she said. Um, and the person on the other end of the line said, um, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never heard of this stuff, ayahuasca, uh, but I'm on, um, I'm on uh, chemotherapy and I've been given uh, 18 months to live and I'm on antidepressants and I'm still depressed. They're not working. And the person on the other end of the phone said, well, if you want to drink this, then you have to stop taking that. Um, she went off to Brazil and this has been going back decades now. She's absolutely fine. She cured herself. Or the cancer went into remission. However, you want to look at it. I've got another friend who was had lung cancer. Uh, who um, she was taking chemotherapy. This is a Brazilian woman. Uh, she decided, no, I'm not taking it anymore. I'm going to drink my ayahuasca. She's and she's drinking ayahuasca to uh, to today. I personally had leishmaniasis, which is um, a, mm-hmm. a, a a really nasty infection. It's a it's a flesh eating bacteria. I got I got bitten by a sandfly on my chest. Oh my god. And it started yeah. to. I got a, a, a basically a bacterial colony in my chest. It's a cousin of leprosy, and the second stage of the infection is it attacks the cartilage in your nose and the cartilage in your ears and the cartilage in your throat and in your stomach. And you know, uh, everyone there. You know, and I'd studied this. I'd, I'd studied in my during my degree. I'd studied the advance of pharmaceutical interventionist medicine, particularly in India, looking at how Ayurveda and um, pharmaceutical medicine were how that fight was was panning out basically, and. What I saw, and I was living in the jungle at the time, in the Amazon, 
not deep into the Amazon, just on the edge of Rio Branco. Uh, everyone around me, they said, you've got to go and take injections. You've got to go and take injections of antimonium tartrate. And I said, what, you want me to, you want me to take injections of, of heavy metal? Said, yeah, you need to take 130 of them into your veins. Maybe it'd be 150. If you leave it till tomorrow, it might be 230. Um, three injections of heavy metal into my veins every day for uh, an indefinite period until this ulcer went away. This ulcer was getting, you know, it's a, it's a pretty hideous thing. And it was kind of, it was about as big as, um, uh, big as a large kind of coin, uh, 50p in England. Um, you know, those kind of tea light candles, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. So basically, it was that size. It was on my chest. The long and the short of this story is, I was sick for eight months, um, drinking ayahuasca every day, uh, drinking daimi every day, I should say. And this, you know, I lost ten kilos. I learned a whole load of stuff about a whole load of stuff, basically. Uh, and at the end of this, I was cured of this disease. Um, now, the people there didn't believe that that could happen because they've lost touch with their own medicine. Simply that, you know, they've oh. the the advertising has uh, the aggressive pharmaceutical companies have moved in. They've got pharmacies here and there. They've got white guys in white suits with white bottles, um, and and yeah, people have lost touch with their medicine. Um, so kind of um, so back to the question of this cancer. Um, the esteemed academics uh, got back to the woman saying there is no evidence uh, that ayahuasca can cure cancer. Now the correct answer from my perspective is. I don't know, go and ask somebody who's been using it for the last 300 years, you know? Go and ask someone who actually knows yeah. what they're talking about, uh, whether it can cure your cancer or not. I mean, is it, is it the academic's role to step in and say what's what when they really don't know? And not only do they not know, you can't test that. It is almost impossible to test whether ayahuasca used in ritual circumstances actually cures cancer or not. They just don't have the remit to say whether it does or not. And saying there is no evidence, yeah, I mean, in one sense they're saying we don't know, but they're not. They're kind of dressing up ignorance right. as knowledge, you know? And they might talk right. about placebo and they might talk about blah, 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 blah. But that is, from my perspective, well, A, it's arrogant, B, it's, it's um, extremely cruel to someone who might want to treat their cancer with ayahuasca i'm not saying if you've got cancer go and treat it with ayahuasca i had a really serious disease that could have killed me people were saying people would say danny you're crazy i'm going to get you let's go into the car we're going to rio branco you can go and see the old guys who haven't got any noses and ears because they got attacked by this disease you've got i was adamant i wasn't going to take it you know um i was writing a book about disease and about autonomy and about anarchy and about magic at the time and um you know, it was. I'd gone to Brazil to finish off this book and to learn about ayahuasca, and I got given. Was that was that uh, was that science revealed? Um, yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. It was. It was an earlier incarnation of um, of the whole trilogy, two of which have been produced. So yeah, science revealed and neuroapocalypse is in that book. Um, uh, yeah, so, so I'd gone off to Brazil specifically with that intention to learn about how powerful ayahuasca was and to finish this book about everything that was happening in my body at that moment, right? Everyone told me I was crazy. They thought I was completely crazy. I had to isolate myself in this community because I, all people, all, all that they would say to me was, have you taken your injections yet? Have you taken your injections yet? How's your, how's, how's your ulcer? How's your ulcer? How's your leprous ulcer? Um, it, was, it was a nightmare, right? And this is... This is um, basically caboclos this is this is uh, people from the jungle these aren't these are people who've adopted um these moors and these um uh, the, the, the basically the power structure of, uh, of of the corporations and the pharmaceuticals companies so um you know that that method of healing that mode of healing is is absolutely different different in every way 
Um, I, I actually, what I did was I said to myself, what am I going to do? I was scared. I thought, you know, I had a, an open wound in my chest. Um, I was, I was, you know, a gringo in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by people who thought I was crazy. Um, and what did I do? I went and drank some, some doses and I had a, a vision and uh, or a series of visions. And, and what it was, was all the people who had come up to me and said, look, I used to have this and they'd show me their scars. I used to have this. I had injections. You've got to go and take injections. They had overcome their leishmaniasis, but they had not overcome deeper things. So, you know, and it became very clear to me when I drank that ayahuasca that, you know, uh, one of them had joint pain because antimonium tartrate, the injections that you take, it attacks your joints. Um, he had permanent joint pain. Um, another one, um, he had these weird bumps on his legs. And then another one, he was just really greedy. He hadn't overcome his greed. One of them was just bone ignorant. You know, they all had something which they hadn't resolved. And disease from a Western medical perspective is just bacteria and stuff like that. Disease from uh, indigenous perspective or, or, or suffering from, uh, from a Christian perspective or a Buddhist perspective um, certainly a Buddhist perspective, it means a whole lot more than uh, the physiology of your body. You know, there's meaning there. Um, right. I've got to talk about this, which yeah. is online. Uh, it's called... Um, I, th- I, think I, I think I watched some of it, actually. Uh, I, I, oh, go ahead. Yeah, what is it called? Oh, do you know what? I've actually forgotten, but the website is... Um, do you want me to should I plug that now? It's www.nemusend.co.uk. One of the talks in there is called Myth and uh, Meaning and... Uh, mind-bending medicine and stuff like that. I can't actually remember what it's, what it's called, but it goes quite deeply into the story of that disease and that recovery. Now, I, the reason I was able to do that was because I've studied um, in depth the history of pharmacology um, and the, the layers and layers of bullshit uh, which, which, um, which were involved there, you know, going, going back all back to the, to, I don't know, loads of stuff. The introduction of antibiotics is an interesting one. Because the introduction of antibiotics did almost nothing to 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 um, to treat uh, the diseases that it's it's said to said to treat, um, you know, typhoid and yellow fever and um, TB and all of these things had plummeted like ninety 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 five percent because of other reasons because of sanitation and all this kind of stuff. But um, the the conquest of disease is seen as uh, the triumph of, of modern interventionist medicine. It's not. It's the triumph of um, you know adequate sanitation and good nutrition and a whole load of other stuff. We've got we've got you know we've got um, antibiotic resistance disease coming back uh, with a vengeance at the moment. You know TB tuberculosis for example. You get tuberculosis in London now. Um, so uh, yeah, so where was I going with this? Um, yeah, it's it's just colossally arrogant and short-sighted, and and it shows a kind of lack of understanding of history, uh, certainly history of medicine, um, and yeah, uh, how, how has this d- level of racism persisted? I mean, it, it's really quite astonishing because it, it's basically that uh, it, it's 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 the idea that indigenous people don't know what they're talking about, and we do know what we're talking about. These people had discovered monoamine um, oxidase inhibition, basically ayahuasca. One of the things it does yeah. is um, that you, you, know, you get the effect of the DMT because it's got you, you, the mixture of a monoamine oxidase inhibitor. Now, they discovered that hundreds of years ago, if not right. thousands of years ago, we don't know. We discovered that uh, a couple of decades ago, by mistake, I will add, in fact, every single um, um, psycho, well, certainly in, psycho, uh, in psychiatry... 
Uh, every single medicine which has been discovered was discovered by mistake. There wasn't a single one that was discovered on purpose. And that was Professor David Nutt who told yeah. me that. Um, so I'm taking it from him. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we say that the, the indigenous people, they've been doing it by trial and error, uh, which, A, that's not what they say. Uh, they say the plants told them. And, B, right. we're, we're not even doing it by trial and error. We've been doing it by error, you know? I've got another talk about this. It's called Taboo from the Jungle to the Clinic. That's on my website as well. And there's an article on that as well. Yeah, I, I was reading something uh, that you wrote. I think it was maybe in one of the chapters where uh, it, you're talking about and just jump in whenever you want, because uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to piece this together myself. But uh, just feel free to jump in. So it's like you're talking about like the synergy of the plants together, the, the combination of the chemicals. It's, and, and from what I'm gathering from what you were just telling me with the injections and stuff and the other people, you know, having the visions where other people weren't being healed totally. It's like we have a tendency, I guess, in, in what I would call our, our Western kind of materialist, reductionist, rational minds where we need everything to be compartmentalized, quantified, measured, weighed and and suctioned off like it's separate from from everything when it, in, in fact everything is connected everything is a whole there's more of a holistic approach and more of a holistic sense of healing and when you're combining things like plants and herbs and and, and spices and things like this all together there's a synergy right that comes together that, that provides something very different right yeah and it goes beyond that it goes into um you know my my own cure involves uh involved prayer uh it involves yeah. certain, um, you know, dietary advice, also sexual regimen. I was celibate for ages, like months and months and months, uh, like eight months or so. Um, it was, it was, it was, it was an attitude as well. You know, I went, I did ceremony after ceremony, and every ceremony I learned something. You know, and sometimes I'd make an error. Like I remember one particular ceremony that I actually, it was, it was, I really shouldn't have done it because this is absolutely against the rules. But I left. Uh, I left halfway through. And the next day, my ulcer was bigger, like literally bigger. I could see it was bigger. Uh, so the ulcer was a kind of, um, it was on my chest, you know, it was right just above my heart, basically. Uh, it was a constant monitor of where I, where I was at with this process of uh, mental purification. Um, all kinds of other stuff happened. You know, my ex-wife came out to look after me. Um, which was a terrible idea. Note, note, this is a note to anyone listening. Don't get back together with your ex-wife. Um, but she, <laughs> she came out supposedly to look after me, and she, she went. She completely lost it, and um, I ended up having to look after her. So anyway, I lost the ex-wife. I lost uh, ten kilos. I lost a whole load of. Um, I lost a, a. What do you call those things? Rose-tinted spectacles on on the world. You yeah. know, I, I lost the whole, yeah. whole load of stuff which wasn't which wasn't serving me. Um, so, I mean, the root of it is is meaning, you know, myth, myth and meaning or certainly stories. We, we, it's like this. We need stories to explain the world. Right. That's how our brains work. We, we require right. something to piece together the I wouldn't say it's disorder, but the things that happen to us. And it's like with with scientism, we have farmed out that. Uh, role of piecing together the stories mm. to to people who you know a, a lot of these academics they'll know a whole load about um uh, microbiology but they haven't drunk right. you know haven't drunk anything like uh what they need to to understand to understand um how ayahuasca works and 
Yeah, it's like it's like we've uh, we've sanitized it, right? Like to a degree, like we've sanitized it, sterilized it, stripped it out, right? And also lost, um, it was, yeah, stripped it out from its from its cultural context, you know. Um, and and right. and I, I sometimes feel like, um, I like for example, some of the traditions we have in Daimi. One is that you don't share your visions. You know, you don't share your visions. If you see something that's for you, uh, um. It's quite a private thing. It's, the whole thing is a cult in the, the original meaning of meaning of it. It's hidden. Uh, so yeah, we don't we don't we don't share our vision. You go to quite a lot of neo Arasgero circles. That's what you do. You get to the end, you have a sharing circle. Um, there may be some benefit in that, but that's not what they do in the jungle, right? Um, we have a sexual dieta. Three days before, you don't have sex. Three days afterwards, you don't have sex. You know. Um, but people like having sex. People, probably, people like having sex on ayahuasca, so they do it. You know. Um, there are, you know, it, it's like we're, we're looking for a framework. Um, yeah, another way of putting it is like this. Theories are the hands of the mind, you know. If we don't have, if we don't have hands, we couldn't grab cups and stuff. If we don't have theories, it's very difficult for us to grasp, to grab uh, concepts. It's very difficult for us to grab data. And we are, you know, when scientists will come along and say, this is how it works. Like, a good example is, um, I think it was the McKenneth brothers, who came up with the idea that ayahuasca is DMT plus monoamine oxidase inhibitor. The reason they said that was because it had just been discovered not, 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 not all that much, all that long before they said it. And, you know, like, like they say, you know, uh, to, uh, to uh, a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So through this very, very small lens of understanding of how Two of the chemicals in ayahuasca, ayahuasca vein, uh, sorry, ayahuasca vine, which has thousands of chemicals in it, chacruna leaf, which has thousands of chemicals in it, and your body, which has thousands of chemicals in it, or was it tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands? You know, they've selected only two that they know anything about, and they said this is how ayahuasca works. And that was dogma for a very long time. Now you look further into the traditions, and, well, here's something simple. Ayahuasca is the name of the vine. It's not the name... I mean, it's also the name of the brew, which is the mixture of those two plants. But ayahuasca is the name of the vine, right? Um, that vine has been taken by certain indigenous groups on its own for a very, very long time. You know, they call it La Purga, for example. It's, um, if you take the vine on its own, it does actually have an effect. Uh, the, people, um, the people who came up with the idea that ayahuasca is a DMT-complaining containing thing plus a... And monoamine oxidase containing thing missed missed that entirely because harmaline harmine uh, does have a psychoactive effect it makes you feel big and strong um you know ayahuascaros will say that the teachings are in the vine you know you might get some visions from the leaf and the dmt but that's really not the not really the most important part of it and in fact the the, the jungle is not a visual place anyway you can only see a couple of feet because there's there's trees everywhere Right, we live in a spectacularly yeah. visual culture where we're bombarded with images everywhere, and we come out of kind of the psychedelic, um, uh, psychedelic story of the West, you know, with uh, with um, acid, for example. You know, it's it's understood to be a very visionary thing, and we've got lots of kind of trippy visuals and and flares and tie dye and all that kind of stuff. Um, it, and, and it's almost you know, people go and drink ayahuasca and they don't have a vision and they think nothing's happened. And it's like, well, do you not recognise the whole, the rest of it? You don't recognise the other teachings that come because the vision can be a very small, small aspect of of, of learning with ayahuasca. 
So yeah, it's- yeah, that that seems to be that seems to be what a lot of people think too. I think generally when people think about psychedelics, they think, oh, you're what are you gonna you're imagining dragons or something like that, you know? And it's like, well, it's a little bit more. It's a little deeper than that. It's a little. There's a little more to it than that. And they're my, and they're my dragons, you know. I'm not sharing them. In the time, <laughs> time yeah. session in Brazil, you know, you get to the end of the session, everyone's people are talking, but they're talking about you know um, what their kids are doing or um, you know how their crops are growing. You know, they don't they don't launch into stories about how they uh, met Saint Michael and um, and um, you know all this kind of stuff. You keep that very much to yourself. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's interesting because I. Yeah, I was, it was. It's very interesting because I actually I participated in, uh, in this in this what was called like an integration process uh, ceremony, and and there you know people were encouraged to kind of share in a group way, and I and I was you know I was thinking this is probably a Western element. This is definitely a Western element added to it because there seems to be a need for people in you know say the states and the uk to 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 figure out a way to to heal themselves and they feel that there's something wrong they have to go and they want to seek out this brew that they heard so much about and then it's like well then they don't know what to do afterwards you know so cuz it's like we, they haven't grown up in the tradition they haven't grown up in the culture so it's like there there needs to be some kind of talking or some kind of sharing or some kind of process afterwards uh to do that because i i think that a lot of people are are kind of cluttered up and and clouded you know and confused with a lot of things a lot of problems i guess i would say yeah i, can't, I mean, actually i want to qualify something i said there uh, and i think you're talking about tanya mate dr tanya mate's um work yeah um i mean she's she's amazing yeah, yeah, yeah. she's fantastic and i you know I, I haven't met her uh but i imagine that she's doing that with a whole load of sensitivity and uh, and wisdom uh of her own um i i'm not saying that um there shouldn't be integration but um, what I am saying is that there's certain things which are there for you and uh, and for you only. Certainly, in in in, in the traditional way of doing things, um, yeah, it's 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 kept for yourself. But you're right, you know, we uh, gringos, we don't have an understanding of the spirits, you know, whatever they are. The spirits don't exist for us, and and that's kind of another interesting thing right. because in, in the jungle, you know, uh, indigenous people aren't aren't climbing over each other to drink ayahuasca you know they know the spirits are there they know that it's part of the world and they're trying to keep this side of this side of that border generally you might go to the shaman if you're very very ill or if you want to you know if you want to uh, um, do some kind of magic or or something like that but generally people people steer clear of the shaman because they're not hungry for spirits or spiritual experience in the same way that we are we're in a kind of uh, a spiritual poverty if you like what they do have they have financial yeah. poverty yeah so you've got you so with that with financial poverty on the one side and spiritual poverty on the other side it's a recipe for a massive amount of exploitation and um kind of malpractice on, on both sides really it, it's kind of tragic um there is there are certain ways of um of making that encounter between um again the industrial north and the amazon or you know of dealing with ayahuasca tourism and uh which you know I, it can definitely be done in a uh, respectful and helpful way and i think um the the globalization of ayahuasca while it has a, brings a massive amount of problems it's still a really really good thing at kind of this point in history it seems like uh like uh, you know it seems like there's a chance for all kinds of good things 
to happen out of that. And in fact, um, there's a little there's a study recently was done at Breaking Convention last year, I believe, about um, uh, what people had got out of out of taking psychedelics, not specific ayahuasca, but psychedelics. And it was I think it was something like twenty twenty percent of people had got involved in activism. Uh, after their use of psychedelics. And a lot of that is um, going to be environmental activism, which is um, urgent, I would say extremely urgent at the moment. Uh, certainly that kick-started my uh, interest in, in activism. And, you know, I, I, like I say, I was involved with, with Occupy, I'm involved with a um, group called BP or Not BP, who are um, harassing uh, BP in the, in the corridors of power here. Um, but yeah, I think, I think ayahuasca has a whole load to teach us. And one of the things it's got to teach us is we've got to be very, very careful with what we're doing with our money, you know, because uh, money is dangerous. Money is very dangerous in the jungle. When you have a situation where uh, an indigenous healer can, or not an indigenous healer, a geezer with ayahuasca can make a year's wages in an evening by serving it to gringos, that's a recipe right. for, you know, like that, all kinds of trouble can come out of that. And that's and that's and, right. and that's even yeah. in my tradition, you know, in, in Daimi tradition, um, you know, in Brazil it's done a certain way, in Acre, in the jungle it's done a certain way. Um, looking across the rest of the world, there's a whole lot going wrong in Daimi as well. I'm not, I'm not, um, you know, I'm pointing the finger firmly at my own tradition as well. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, just because we we've you've mentioned it, and we've been talking about it, but what are some of the, so what what are some of the things about that make the daime um, unique or you know specific? Like, what are some things that that uh, that are specific to the daime tradition? Like when I, when I first went to it, um, it was uh, my my ex wife who was uh, I was living in Japan. She was a Japanese woman, and she'd said, "Here, there's this there's this crazy party to go to." And explained well. She she said that there was a, a very curious substance, and she didn't speak a whole lot more English than that. And I didn't speak a whole lot more a whole lot Japanese at the time. And I was sold anyway. So I went along. I wasn't expecting to see what I saw, which was the men on one side, the women on the other, everyone wearing uniforms, as in kind of blue slacks and white shirts, and and oh, at that time blue ties and for the men. Um, and kind of crosses all about the place and all that kind of stuff. So so Daimi the the daimi ritual is is quite strange to look upon. It looks pretty culty, um, and w- what is done is the like I say, the men on one side, the women on the other. In fact, it's 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 done either in a well. Let's talk about the original setup. It was done in a in a kind of oblong shape around the around the altar, around the central central table, and the, the there's a particular dance, and it's done with the beat of a maraca. I'm just going to play the maraca. Actually, I've got one here. So there's a particular yeah. beat which goes like this. And that goes on. There's a few other ones, but basically that's the most important one. And that goes on um, for, it could be seven hours, it could be, you know, it could be longer, uh, depending on how long the session is. And the participants will dance from side to side. So they'll do like a kind of two step left and uh, two steps right uh, all night. The men going one way, the women going the other. So they're kind of mirroring, not mirroring. They're um, it's kind of um, it's, it's 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 based on the the motion of the sea. So there's a kind of moving geometry in the uh, in the salon, in the uh, in the hall where it's done. It's done in the light. Uh, it's done whilst singing songs, and the songs are uh, all kind of um, they talk about. Um, you know, a lot of the names, some of the names that are called are indigenous spirits. Uh, some of them are uh, figures from the Catholic pantheon. 
Um, so it's a mix of folk Catholicism, and folk Catholicism is, is quite different to Vatican Catholicism. By the way, from the Vatican you get the 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 more, uh, well, basically Catholicism changes a great deal. By the time you get to Brazil, they're incorporating uh, all kinds of interesting stuff um, in, into it. Uh, and by the time you get to the Amazon, you know, you've got these these indigenous elements. And in fact, you'll, you'll see that in, um, in in indigenous, well, certainly Mestizo shamanism as well. There's a whole lot of them all have crosses around their necks and they'll call them saints. It might be Sant Antonio, it might be uh, whoever. So that, that kind of Catholic... Uh, and indigenous um, syncretism has been going on a very long time, and but the I guess the one big difference about um, Daimi uh, to traditional shamanism is that in traditional shamanism the shaman himself or herself would drink uh, alone uh, and tend to the patients. So the, the the ayahuasca was used often, usually as a diagnostic tool. Uh, and then he might or she might prescribe some kind of a herb or some kind of a um, regimen or whatever it is uh, in order to deal with the, the disease or the spiritual attack or however it was it was pictured. Um, in our tradition, in Daimi tradition, everyone drinks together. So and it's not really anybody's job to say what's going on or, or not not what's going on, but the answers to the question. So so, for example, Mestriu Irineo, who's the the founder of the lineage, who was a very tall black man, um, he was once asked, uh, they said to him, why don't you pick up the Bible at the end of a session and, and, and do what they do in the other churches? And he said, uh, we don't use the Bible here. The, uh, our Bible is our songs, and our teacher is the, is the, is the brew, is the ayahuasca. Um, and if you, you know, if you ask... If you ask someone running a session, um, what do I do about this thing in my life, like you might ask a priest during confession, uh, he or she will... will uh, well, he'll he'll say, well, you know, why the hell are you asking me that? Go and ask, go and ask the diner, you know. Go and drink, go and drink your dose and work it out. Um, there's right. quite there's quite an interesting um, kind of change in one of the prayers. Um, so, so we say um, the, the 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 session begins with with Pinoso Ave Maria, so Our Father and Hail Mary. Uh, uh, so we don't have a, a, a what do you call it a, a setting an intention. The intention is you turn up there, you invite the the, the, the male and female um, um, gods, if you like, into the into the space with those prayers, and then off you go. Um, but so in 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 Portuguese, normally the the line goes uh, from our father goes venha nossa vossa reino, which means uh, in English, Thy kingdom come. You know. In the in the daimi way of doing it, we don't say "Thy kingdom come." We say "Vamos nós a vossa reino," which means "Let's go to our king." Let's go to thy kingdom. Let's go to your kingdom. So the emph- the um, the onus is on you to make the journey to the divine kingdom, rather than waiting for the divine kingdom to come to you. And you know, it's a very sm- very slight thing in the prayer, but you know, it's 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 found all the way through daimi. Um, doctrine or, or ritual teachings rather I should say uh, so for example um, you are uh, you can't invite someone that's another thing if somebody can say to you uh, you know what is it this uh, can I come but you can't say to somebody like uh, a lot of a lot of churches will hey you should come to go and do this it's just forbidden from our from our tradition you're not allowed to do what's called propaganda you're not allowed to say wow time is amazing you must go along it'd be really good for you um it's forbidden. You're not. You're not supposed to do that kind of thing. You're supposed to say very, say very quiet about it. You know, if if by your conduct people see something that's special in you, 
or um, see something that they like, then, and they say, you know, what is it that you do that's different, or blah, 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 or if some kind of, you know, for whatever reason, you don't have to hide the fact that you're a domista, but you, you can't big it up, uh, you can't advertise it, all that kind of stuff. So it's got anti-proselytizing stuff. So it's, it's actually quite, it looks quite Catholic from the outside. Um, on the inside, you know, there's no Bible, there's no, almost no, um, um, in, in the hymns, in the songs, there's no bit that says you have to believe in this uh, uh, or that. Um, it's, it's poetry, it's, it's actually fantastically beautiful poetry. Um, it's in Portuguese, obviously. Um, so it's, um, yeah. it's, it's, it's a ritual where you will dance and sing. You know, for example, Mestri's songbook is 132 songs. So that's what you do. You say a prayer, you drink a dose, you sing 69 songs, you uh, take a break for an hour. Uh, you might have another dose, actually. Uh, and then you drink another dose, you sing a whole load more songs. Uh, so that's what you do. And there's a kind of magic that goes in between the songs and um, and the people. And uh, it's a group ritual, right? And, you know, in the, in the kind of North American tradition, you have community-wide uh, kind of circle dances um, that they have, you know. In the South American tradition, um, we don't know how ayahuasca was used before the uh, conquistadors, before the invaders um, arrived. What we do know is what survived was a particular type of ayahuasca use where an individual, uh, under the tutelage of another shaman normally, would go off into the jungle uh, on his own or on her own for six months or for a year and they'd learn it and then they'd come back to the community to go and deal with it. Now, it may be that that's the only thing that managed to survive the uh, Portuguese and Spanish invasions because, um, you know, they, the, it, was, it was devil worship to them. So if you're going to do it, you have to go and worship your devil off on your own in the jungle somewhere. So it could have been a communal uh, ritual that has been... Has been they, yeah. There could have been communal rituals that have been lost uh, what Daimi is is a an urbanized format. Uh, so so right. the kind of the, the story goes that Mestre um uh, brought Daimi out or brought ayahuasca out of the jungle, uh, rechristened it, as in christened, gave it a name, name is Daimi, uh, and uh, built up a ritual around how you produce it, how you consume it, um, and uh, so on and so forth. We don't have a whole lot of thou shalt not do this, that. In fact, we don't there's not a whole lot there are things like you know you shouldn't spread gossip and you should love your brothers and sisters and um that kind of thing but it's it's not a it's not a kind of in a sense it's not really a doctrinal um body of well it is the the rules are very different to what you might imagine from a uh, most christian um sects if you like no, it's, I mean, it sounds, yeah, it sounds fascinating. It's very interesting. Um, and, you know, I mean, that, that kind of like uh, uh, ban on like proselytizing, that, that sounds kind of nice. You know, maybe we should institute that uh, for, for everyone, you know, <laughs> it's like, that sounds nice. Well, there, there, there's, yeah, instituting laws is, um, I don't know, I don't know if that's very becoming of an anarchist, Mike. <laughs> no, nah, I know. <laughs> I mean, maybe that just one, you know, maybe we could slip one in there. But I, I I thought it was very interesting what you said about how like you know there go people going off in the jungle and they think it's like devil worship and this stuff and it's just you know something that came to my mind is just like what what is the fear like where does you know because I that seems to be a through line through history and all in and and everything you know somebody there's a fear of somebody worshiping the devil because they're 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 having a you know an experience 
that maybe you can't really understand, a non-ordinary experience, and they're having it within themselves, uh, and, and they're coming to conclusions themselves. So there's a great Seems like there's a great fear all throughout history of that, and that's and that and that's considered to be devil worship. You know, devil worship is considered to be listening to yourself or or something like that. Uh, uh, that's a really interesting point. You know, the fear of the self, the, the self unleashed. You know, the beast, the beast within. That's a pretty terrifying thing. Um, I guess so. Yeah. I, I saw um, I saw some news from Brazil the other day. Uh, One hundred fifty thousand uh, protesters have gathered at the uh, at Brasilia. Uh, in, in, in front of uh, basically their equivalent of parliament and set it on fire. Um, Whoa. You know, that kind of stuff happens when, the, when, the, when, the, when people start to claim their own, <laughs> claim their autonomy. Well, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, you can, you know, I mean, people who are, who are kidnapped and put into, you know, prisons and, you know, for, for nonviolent uh, crimes and things like that, people who are mistreated when they did no harm to anybody else, people who are, you know, like you said, racism and, and all these kinds of isms, it's, it's, uh, it really, you know, there, there, there's, there's a backlash that happens with that. You know, there's you know, something that, that uh, actually the United States CIA coined the term blowback, you know, when, when, you know, it's you're going around the world, you're fucking with other people, and, you know, after a while, the human, the human spirit can only take so much. You know, there, there, there's got to be some kind of retribution or some kind of retaliation. Same thing with, you know, like the cells and organs in our body. Like you said, uh, you know, there's, there's a repairing element. Everything that gets, that's, that, that gets destroyed, there's always this element that wants to heal, that wants to fix. And if I think, if, I think if fostered in the right way, that we can, we could do that collectively as a species. Yeah, funny. That, that's interesting. The, the connection you've made there with. Um... With the with the with, with the cells, uh, a friend of mine he had. Um, I can't remember what disease it was, but it was um, some kind of um, some kind of stomach disease going on. And he was uh, um, he got some kind of dietary advice uh, from a friend of mine who's a, who's a herbalist. And uh, and this guy's an anarchist. My, my, actually, both the herbalist and the and the uh, the guy who was ill. They're both they're both anarchists. Um, uh, quite involved in um, one of them was involved in one of the big Brazilian occupations. And um, he said, well, you know, I have to take my, uh, my antibiotics. And, and, and I, I kind of said, well, you know, you're, 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 what you're doing is you're sending, you're sent, that's an airstrike, basically. You're, you're going to be wiping out the, um, the indigenous forces. And what you, what you want to be doing is stimulating a, a, a local indigenous revolt. So I kind of recommended probiotics <laughs> to him in order to chase away yeah. this, uh, this, this, this invasion. And it's, it, it's you know, autonomy whether it's political autonomy or autonomy over your own body, it's actually got um, a kind of similar signature on every level. Uh, autonomy over your own actions, you know. What is it, what is it that comes from me? What is it that I do? Um, you know, if you, if you behave boldly, uh, you know, you might, you, I'm not saying it's always going to go right, but at least you work things out, you know. If you behave meekly and if you're under the thumb of the state... Uh, then, you know, you might have a quiet life, but you're not really going to work out a whole lot of stuff. You're not going to work out, I think, who you are. Yeah. You know? I was just thinking about... Yeah, my, yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah, no, that's a great, that was a great uh, analogy they made too. I mean, that's just, uh, that's so true. You know, it's like, there's this, there's this way, and, you know, we've kind of been talking about this a little bit through the podcast. It's just like, you know that this kind of eradication of of something, but then you lose the other things that that are necessary and a part of it, uh, which which you know is is not uh, beneficial actually. But listen, we're we're wrapping up on like uh, two hours here. I could 
talk to you for honestly, Danny. Yeah, I, I could go on talking to you for like another four hours. I'm, I'm so, uh, I'm so interested in 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 more. But I guess I'm just gonna have to read, uh, read your book. And I guess you know that's what I think I would recommend everyone else to do because, you know, the little bit that I read that I was, I was just like, you know, I was hooked. Like as soon as I started reading, and I'm, I had all these questions lined up, but we just, we just started rolling and talking and just kind of ping ponging back and forth about stuff. But I read. Uh, uh, ex exo drugs that is was the I guess the chapter right exo drugs yeah that's all yeah. about drugs in the Bible yeah yeah drugs in the Bible yeah I was like I was loving it I mean I was just like I was going through this so yeah I wrote I wrote down all these questions but I recommend people to go to go check out your work go check out your books go check out your writing check out your videos because uh, there's really just phenomenal stuff in there the way that you piece everything together connect the dots you know there's there's all these all these things that are interconnected. Um, you know, the, the, the languages and how we interpret things and the, the lifting of veils and, and, and all this stuff is just so mind-blowing and so interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, if, you, if anything else that you want to share uh, before we wrap, please uh, go ahead and do so. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, firstly, thank you. That's very kind. Um, you know, it, took me, it took me a long time to write, and I'm pleased you're enjoying it. Um, yeah, I think what I'd like, I mean, I would like to share one thing, which is uh, people are interested in my book. Uh, it's called Neuro Apocalypse. Um, the first one's called Science Revealed. You can get both of them on Amazon, but you mustn't get them on Amazon because Amazon are kind of the rapists of the publishing world. Um, so if you want uh, me and my publisher to get any money, uh, which would be nice uh, because I've got children, uh, you can buy them from Psychedelic Press. Uh, yeah. We got. We have to save save the Amazon, but save the real Amazon, not the not the fake Amazon. <laughs> yeah, funny enough, when I was living in the Amazon, I tried to order a book on Amazon, and they don't deliver to the Amazon, which I think is kind of curious. <laughs> That's got to be a cultural uh, misappropriation uh, right there. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so right. so you can check out my book. You can check out my website, which I've plugged. I'm going to plug it again. It's www.nemusend.co.uk. And, um, you know, there's that, that stuff we were talking about, about, you know, drugs in the Bible. I'm, I'm really pleased that we didn't actually talk about it because I've done a few podcasts recently and um, been talking about that a lot. I did one with um, Psychedelic Milk the other day. Mm -hmm. um, that's just come out. And then there's one on the third wave, which is pretty much all about drugs in the Bible. So if people are interested in that, then uh, check that out or check out um, or check out the book. Uh, yeah, there's loads of stuff on my website, loads of loads of talks, and uh, that stuff about you know we we kind of touched on theology here and there. There's stuff on mistranslation of scripture in the service of empire, and then there's a whole series of things that I did. I used to write for the Occupy Times, which was a newspaper that came out of Occupy London, and uh, with this, this this character, the Reverend Nemu, who is uh, my oh author. yeah, that's right. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, what's the yeah Rev Father Reverend preach preach? <laughs> well, oh, Reverend Nemu, I mean. Well, it's, I have a difficult relationship yeah. with Reverend Nemu, really. I mean, I just thought when I when I, uh, I I took the name because I was, you know, I still am actually a, a teacher. I teach English. Uh, I'm just trying to get out at the moment. I'm, I'm uh, doing hypnotherapy at the moment, uh, as well, but uh, I didn't want my students to be googling me because I'm writing about psychedelics and anarchy and you know the occult and all this kind of stuff, you know. Uh, so yeah. when, when I was writing, I was writing a lot of it. Like it happened like this when I started drinking ayahuasca. Um, we're going back to kind of two thousand and I think two thousand and one or something like that. A long time ago. Um, about a year after I started drinking it, um, I started getting these 
these downloads, basically, what, what happened. I've always been insomniac, and at night, rather than just uh, trying to get to sleep, I'd suddenly get seized with an idea, and um, I'd write it down, and I wrote down these loads of scraps of paper, like about 100 of these kind of mad um, rambling scrawls, and these all went into an envelope, and then... Uh, <clears throat> And, and I was writing them at night, right, and my ex-wife uh, had a, like a kind of, this sounds a bit, a bit lame, basically, but had a teddy bear called Nemu Nemu, which means, in Japanese, uh, sleeping. So I took the name of that teddy bear, who was, a, was an elephant, sleeping elephant, and I took the name Reverend, because, you know, everyone should have a title. It says in the Bible, call no man father. So um, you can call me Reverend, rather, you know, Lady Gaga's a lady, and Prince Buster was a prince. So I wanted to be a Reverend. Um... But, um, you know, some people don't really get the irony in it. Funnily enough, um, Breaking Convention's coming up in a couple of weeks in England, which is a big conference about psychedelics, yeah. and there's a whole load of professors uh, there and only one reverend, and I am the Reverend Nemu. I got, my, I got, ordained, <laughs> I got, I got ordained on the internet for $15 uh, back in the day. Um, uh, part of the reason behind that was because I used to, in another incarnation when I lived in Japan, I used to perform uh, weddings in um, kind of purpose-built rooms in hotels with um, stained glass windows behind me and singing What a Friend You Have in Jesus in Japanese to um, basically pagans. With <laughs> that sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, now you're making... Now i got to get a title, man. i gotta think, I got to think of something for myself. I've always thought maybe I wanted to be a duke. I like the sound of that, like the duke of something... Uh, or maybe I don't know. That's that's too royal. Sounds too royal. I don't know. I gotta think of something. I think Duke works. Uh, Duke or, or Pope or, or something like that. You know, um, Pope. Now you're now you're onto something. I'll I'll take the name of Pope. As long as I can get one of those like six six foot high hats. Yeah. Did you see the picture of uh, of of Trump with the Pope by any chance? There was like this meme going around the internet. It's just one of the funniest things. Like you have this. Uh, orange creature donald trump smiling next to uh next to this little pope that just looks so defeated and uh miserable to be standing next to him I mean, I mean, yeah i mean getting onto american politics or even english politics man um it's it's a great revealing i mean it's such it's gone it's so it's so bonkers the fact that you've got um left lefties standing up for the fbi now uh oh. the FBI director it's yeah. just what the, what the hell's going on? You know, it's it's like uh, this. This I mean, the the veil is the veil is down. You know, I remember when I was a kid, the policeman cycling around my lanes. You know, he wasn't. He didn't seem to be an enemy. And in England, we are losing. We lost so many of our institutions. People don't have faith in a lot. Of people don't have faith in the cops. A lot of people don't have faith in money because we had. You know, the money fell apart, and then there was a bailout. Um, you know, the postal service is still quite good, uh, but we're losing national health. Um, you know, we're going to be left on our own quite soon, and we're going to be left with with a state which is which is little more than you know everything that was uh, palatable about the state is is, is just falling apart. It's yeah, it's yeah, it sure is. Yeah, it's happening. It's happening all around the world. It's it's this thing that you were you know were talking about before with uh, you know this like this 2012 uh, you know Gangnam style <laughs> ushering in the, the 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 apocalypse. I mean that's you know it's there. It is. It's right there. It's staring us in the face. We got to do something about it. But hey, I I I really appreciate you, Reverend uh, Danny Nemu, uh, from uh, for being on my podcast today and. I really, I really enjoyed speaking with you. I think this was a good conversation. And uh, and folks listening out there in internet land, go and check them out. Neuro Apocalypse, 
Go to Danny's website. Uh, I mean, there's just a, a wealth of information from this guy and just totally interesting uh, perspective on everything here. Nemu's End, N E M U S E N D dot co dot UK, right? Um, yeah, that's um, right. Um, Pope Mike, it's been an absolute joy. Thank you very much. Yes, Pope Mike, that's right. Now all my listeners must call me Pope from now on. All right, everybody. Peace. I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast as much as I did. You know what to do if you love this show. Share it, like it, spread it with your friends. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell a neighbor, tell a coworker. And uh, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Mike Brank. You can donate as little as a dollar a month. Or you could go on iTunes and leave me a nice five-star rating and review. Whatever you do, thank you for listening. Much love to you all. Peace. Peace.